Hey there, Stephen. This is Inyash. Hey, Inyash. This is Stephen. I couldn't think of a creative name this episode. That's okay. I like Stephen, too, because he's a good friend of mine. Well, that's that's nice. I will endeavor to think of a funny name for every episode going forward, but I can't commit to thinking of a hundred more, so we'll see. Yeah, no, don't worry about it. Plus, this well, it's rate, more game I, for me, you know? Yeah. And at this rate, I don't think we're going to need a hundred. Maybe just like between 60 and 70. Okay, I can manage. Yes. Okay, uh, so we have to do our normal stuff at the beginning of every episode before we dive into this thing. So I guess the first thing we should do is, what is this podcast we're recording? We are recording uh, Not Everything is a Clue, the podcast where you and I discuss Alexander Wales' book, Worth the Candle. And you can support Alexander Wales at his Patreon, which we link uh, both in the show notes and on our website, and also support us if you would like to. And we give, you know, a 15% cut back to Alexander as well. And uh, we definitely appreciate all, all the help. I'm going to write a pitch meeting if we hit 25 patrons. And anyone who does uh, support us on Patreon gets access to the episode a day early and gets to read my, like, they're kind of like live tweets. I highlight and comment a bunch while reading the story. And it's not every funny thing I write down or whatever makes it into the thing, into the episode. So if you think that might be funny, uh, you know, give it, give it a shot. What's stopping you? And we are currently at 16 active patrons. So just nine more to go before Steven has to write something funny for us all. Yay. And then you can see both of us on camera too, I guess. I think we committed to that. I am, you committed to that. I, I am not holding you to that. That will be so many hours of work, unless you've you done think? it before. Um, yes. Uh, I mean, yeah, I got that uh, shit rational save video. It's really not all that much work. Hmm. I mean, it depends on how much quality we want to put into it. This obviously is not going to be like a Ryan George kind of thing, because he has mad skills and is going to put more time into this than I am, but yeah, we'll at least have some kind of video. Okay. I, I think that we could we could basically compete with the quality if we just did the audio, um, but you know we'll, we'll we'll figure it out one way or another. This will make it to your eyes and or eardrums. Maybe we could do both. Maybe we'll like when we hit twenty five, we'll do the audio, and if we hit thirty five, we'll do a video. That sounds fun. Yes, but the video will just be you know a a recording of us doing that thing in in live action. So that's why only ten more because no new script, just things to look at. Valid. <laughs> Stephen's right. beautiful face. Oh, yes. It, uh, it's legendary. All right. So we've got a couple of, um, what was that? I was just saying I like it. Never mind. Go ahead. You're, you're much too kind. Enosh looks like Keanu Reeves. All right. <laughs> um, we've got a couple of uh, notes from the Discord. One, which you isn't in our... You keep saying that, but you know, I don't want people to become uh, very sad once they actually see me and they're expected to see Keanu Reeves. I do not actually look very much like him. Just kind I... of if you squint and tilt your head. I have I have heard that from multiple people though, so I guess if I had to pick the celebrity look the most like, so okay, yeah, all right. I one 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 audience feedback that wasn't on here was from Wes, and he was like, "Stephen, you got to stop trying to worry like whether or not we like you. You're caveating all of your your statements with niceties, and I uh, I've got to make it clear. I don't care whether or not you guys like me, or if I'm offending you guys by not liking the book. What I'm what I'm making clear is that I have every confidence in in Alexander to make this a compelling story, no matter how it turns out. Uh, I I am less less allergic to your your your. I mean, plus it's kind of clear that I'm having fun. So if I find things to to nitpick, I'm not worried that you know the the fan base here is going to rip me to pieces. 
I'm just expressing my confidence that Alexander will will crush it nonetheless. That said, I did listen to last week's episode and I must have caveated everything I said like that four times. So I will stop doing that. Uh, I will just say how I hope things go right? and it'll just be a blanket statement that it's going to be great no matter what. So yeah, I I get to put an asterisk, asterisk next to that in the event that it does suck at the end. I get to say that it sucks, but I can't claim that it, I can't say that it sucks until I've read the entire thing. So right. And yeah, I, I don't think it will. Since the entire, I, I don't think it will either. <laughs> no, so far it's been great, and I mean the end hasn't been written yet, so maybe the end will turn out to suck. But I would be very, very surprised if that was the case. It was all a dream. Yeah. Oh no. Uh, Lex Luthor do- wakes up fitfully after tossing and turning in his bed, and it's just like the day after he kills Superman. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. We have a comment from the audience. This one is from oh god. Kako Lucane, maybe? Kako Lucium? I don't know. Kako Lucium? Yeah, I have no idea how to pronounce that. Uh, but Kako Lucium says uh, something interesting I noticed. Even spending a week grinding skills in preparation for. He says Cypress's quest, even though her name's Amaryllis. Uh, but let's skip over that. For her quest. Amaryllis is hard and- to spell. That's true. And putting up with Fen's teasing did not level up loyalty for either companion. And it definitely didn't give him XP, otherwise he should have leveled at least once. So I think that means XP is down to kills and quest completions. Which uh, we did not um, mention. It actually didn't even occur to me, but because uh, I had just sort of taken that as a given. Um, but that is a very astute observation and something we probably... Yeah, I think it's important to pull out, because that was, that was good. Yeah, I feel like we've at least touched on that. Or if not, it was nice to articulate what I think I uh, strongly suspected. Because he, you know, he did all the training that one night um, back when leveling up would have been easier. You know, when he was doing pistols and stuff by uh, instead, of, instead of doing watch, mm. and he didn't get. And then even uh, when he was grinding bone magic and stuff before even the montage scene, you know, th- there was he's never gotten uh, level up outside of the context of killing people or. Um, quest completions i wonder man i sure hope it's not mere lethalities and it can be just like winning combats right yeah yeah uh and anyway i i would imagine that i mean so stories are about a lot of things but one of the things that they're that is generally a big focus of stories is the interpersonal relationships between the important characters within them right and since loyalty is kind of like a number value that represents an increase in how close people are. Like I would be surprised if there were any loyalty increases that happened off screen. I would imagine pretty much every single number increase in loyalty, we will see what caused it to happen in the text that, or at least I would guess so. Didn't we not see Amaryllis's go up from like three to four? I don't know. Now we'd have to go back and dig, but I I think that's Maybe it, it, at the very least, it'll be, you know, we'll, we'll notice when it happens. Uh, if not the moment it happens, it'll be remarked upon like it was when he, so when they got to the top of the tower in Silmar, he said, Fen's loyalty is where yours was in the sewer less than it is now. But maybe she, maybe she increased her um, loyalty in front of him before that. I can't remember. Anyway, uh, yeah. Hobo Demon gave us some. Uh, but, oh, go be- ahead. Before we go into Hobo Demon, I also wanted to point out that uh, Kekalu came. However you pronounce it, uh, has also created a uh, like a live um, character sheet for June that updates as we read, and it's really kind of cool. So uh, I wanted to give Mad Props and a shout out for that because 
uh, that's you know extra work that people are putting in just for the fun of it and for uh, the the use of the entire Discord server. So that's awesome. Thank you for that. Yes, I called out that it existed and forgot to or didn't know who to attribute to uh, a couple episodes ago. Um, yeah. Frankly, we should we just link to that in the show notes because it also links to my my crappy by comparison little notes. Sure, I will make a note to add that. Excellent. And then I will uh, get us started here with um, the second comment here is from uh, Hobo Demon regarding air and blood. It's not as dangerous in IV drips because the bubbles will go through veins to the heart and lungs. Depending on whether or not you have congenital heart condition, the lethal dose for air in the heart could be as low as four cc's, but it's usually over ten. As long as the heart can pump the bubbles to can pump the bubbles to the lungs, gas exchange there is rapid enough to clear the problem. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, the reason that it's dangerous when being blown directly at skin at over 30 PSI is that the air is going to arteries, which pose an entirely different set of problems. Oh, the shop teacher wasn't lying and neither was the nurse. So I, I was thinking, I guess I didn't know how compressed and how powerful this air was. You know, if, if, if you took the kind where I don't know, whatever I use to fill up, you know, like the compressed air canister to fill up my car tires, right? Oh yeah. That'll uh, cut through the flesh. So that, that's my go-to mental model of a, of an air compressor. So apparently, if it's just 30 PSI, which is not insanely high, um, you can blow air into arteries, which uh, that's interesting. So look at that. Your, your shop teacher was right. But it's a different, it, it was your, your inter- interpretation of it was more generalized than turned out to be true. So, Right. I, I forgot that, you know, arteries and veins go in two different directions and they, that the, the people who put things into your veins probably have taken that into account. Well, and your shop teacher maybe didn't fully understand what they were saying. He just really didn't want you guys fucking around so he could keep his job, you know? Well, that too, yeah. <laughs> okay, shall we get into it then? Uh, yeah, let's rock and roll. Um, you know, large scale summary. They hang out at the fort for, I don't know, 15 minutes. And then Amaryllis gets wandered off during a cutscene, And they <laughs> bullshit their way across the desert to uh, a nice badass showdown. There, okay. cast this episode so far. All right. Thanks for joining us, everybody. <laughs> we'll see you next week. All right, but- let's take this at the real pace, shall we? Indeed we shall. Chapter 22, Rolling Need. Uh, it starts out with them wandering around this empty uh, fortification in the middle of the desert. And June is thinking, I uh, wondered if this was going to be our base of operations, which any v- good video game needed to have. And that's exactly what I said last episode. Which yes. I mean, it's not like a you know a huge win there. It's kind of obvious we've got this impenetrable fortress in the desert that we should be able to teleport to and from. Uh, but yeah, I'm glad that he had the same thought I did. I had a lot of good thoughts this between last episode and this one actually. Uh, you did. Emerilis articulated something that I think I put in my comments that she did it so close to how I did it that people would rightly ass- could could reasonably assume that I read ahead and cheated, but I didn't. No, because you're uh, an honorable man. That's right. I, I do really enjoy games where you get a home base like that, especially if you have to make it yourself. It just feels, I don't know, kind of special about it when it's your own home base that you've created up and you have this place to always go to. That's safe. Yeah. I think my uh, Dragon Age 3 is the one that I think of most most in that line. Even though I didn't like the game that terribly much. I mean, it was a good game, but it like didn't stick with me like, uh, the first Dragon Age game did, but the first Dragon Age didn't have a uh, a home base like that that you used, whereas the third one did, and you got to build it up, and that was cool and memorable. Oh man, you're making me think of Red Dead Redemption Two. 
Oh, but, you get a cool home base in there. What that one? Yeah, you don't you don't get to pick it so much, but you get to expand on it. But more importantly, it just has where all your friends are. Um, yeah. And it's it's uh, God, that game's great. It seems to be a pretty pretty common thing among sandbox games having a central base you can go back to. Now, this one's not very sandboxy. I mean, kind of. Red Dead. Yeah, okay. I guess. I- Define sandbox for me, because that actually might be relevant to this story, so we can make we can pretend it's related to the episode. Uh, like there's a central quest you can go through, but there's a huge open world that you can you know wander around and do lots of hole up a minute side quests and uh, get lost in all the other things that you can do. Oh, then it's a million guess, percent that. Yeah, I was. Yeah, thinking, I guess I guess I should have said open world rather than sandbox, because sandbox can be something more like Minecraft, where there isn't even a uh, a real quest, you know. When I, that's what I picture in a picture sandbox is like, hey, you can kind of do whatever you want and you can build whatever you want. Um, there's yeah, there's a small the crafting form. element in uh, Red Dead, but not much. Anyway. Yes. Uh, onward. Um, they, get oh, straight okay. to, they get straight to the goods. They, they run right they to the vault where there's all kinds of cool stuff. I mean, you've just gotten to the, the, the loot area. You're going to go check out the loot. That's one of the most fun things of video games. In fact, and I'm assuming this is where the glove was. So she already, she when Amaryllis you know, came in the first time, she already made sure to run through and check out this whole place first. <laughs> yes. Yeah, she, she even mentioned that there was a sealed jar there that she didn't hadn't touched yet. That's right. And uh, the sealed jar is a item that June had created back on Earth for his party when he uh, the the party didn't no one had wanted to play a healer, and he says uh, that to make up for that he gave them this jar that had fa- fairies that would spawn in that they could eat to regenerate uh, health, and fairy murder became a recurring joke. You had to snap <laughs> their necks so they didn't wriggle on the way down. Uh, which, Hardcore. <laughs> yeah, that's that's awesome. That's exactly the kind of dark humor that would be just great in a in a tabletop game but yeah that's that's one of the problems with uh like if you want a good multiplayer game you generally need to have a lot of different roles that people specialize in and then can all contribute to the party in their own unique way so that they feel special like everyone has their a-team role you know the the tank the damage dealer the healer and all that but every now and then you get a situation where someone doesn't want, nobody wants to play one of the specialized roles that you need to make the party work. And that's always just a pain in the ass. And I don't know I, if there's yeah, ever I mean, been a I good guess, solution to that. I think, I feel like this is kind of a fun solution, right? Like, all right, then you guys will get healing artifacts that will, you know, fill that role for you. I feel like it might be harder to take a party of clerics and, you know, try and give them tank weapons, right? I think that might actually be a little bit easier to get around because you just wouldn't give them as badass of an enemy that needs to be tanked. That's a good point. Yeah, you get to you're creating the whole world, not just uh, what. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Clearly, I've never DM'd a game, so. (laughs) But not having a healer at all—that's just that's rough, man. That means that if anything goes sideways in a fight, they're fucked. And so having a fight where nothing can go terribly wrong kind of makes the fight slightly less exciting because unless they've got a bandolier full of dead fairies to to eat Um, yeah all right so where are we my my notes are a little scattered here so um they they kind of just they they go look straight for the uh the fairy jar right uh they were looking at some of the other items too and this is where you had the thing where um where you basically said i called this from last episode and you, you did Oh yeah. Okay. So 
Um, she, I mean, so they, do they get their swords yet? Or is that after they talk about the fairies? It's after they just look at the stuff, but one sword looks dull and it says that it was so generic that it seemed it was like it was hiding something. And of course it is. It looks too boring to not be hiding a cool secret. Um, Mm -hmm. So he says, Oh, I, okay. I think I know what's in that jar. It's uh, marzipan fairies. And uh, when we open it, they'll attack. And then Fen's like, what's the goddamn point of that? And he's like, well, they only attacked the first time. That's how it was when I made it in this, in this long dream you once had. And Amarillo says that he's been right before. And, uh, I, I liked this cause it was setting up this kind of moment where Emerilus makes the realization that, um, he's finally got some insight that he almost certainly couldn't have had if he were a citizen of the world before, you know, knowledge of a secret passageway could have been explained away by him having been there before his mind whammy. But this is a specific like fortress that only Emerilus can enter that he, you know, he couldn't be in before, um, mm-hmm. And he's what seventeen, so you know, presumably he couldn't have made this artifact. So anyway, um, like I mean, if he lived on Arab, so this is Amarillo's points this out. She says this is the first time you've made a specific testable prediction, um, and he's like, well, I've I've said stuff before, and she said the same thing that I said that, uh, um, well, sir, most of those things, most of those are pieces of knowledge available to the general public or provided to you by the words written across your eyes, which I would consider separate. And I think I said something to that effect last week. That the um, you know the quest in- info seems different than his authorship of stuff. Uh, if I'm hearing you correctly, this is the first time that your actual memories of creating this world, this game, will be tested. Everything else could have been formed post hoc by an irregular skewer. You remember you remembered about Baron Jewel, but it didn't fit with your dream of Earth. So the skewer warped your mind by inventing this game you played and placed Baron Jewel within that fiction. If you're correct about these items, that rules out the back information hypothesis. Yes. Yeah. And you. You, you say, for real, she's a scientist slash rationalist. Which, yeah, I mean, that's one of the reasons we really like her, right? Yeah, she's awesome. And uh, I gave myself two gold stars. One for anticipating the distinction and ways to test it. And another for being as smart as Amaryllis. Excellent. Yay. <laughs> so. Uh, the, uh, so they look at some of the other items, too. He recognizes the, uh, the immobility plate. Right. And I misunderstood what that was um apparently it's something like an effect that can be turned on or off i assumed it was a like a plate within the armor that just literally you couldn't move right and so i thought it was some kind of gimmick gag weapon that like was an effect that maybe you could turn off for a minute but otherwise this you know you were perfectly stationary while wearing this piece of armor yeah i i had the same confusion when i first read this and it wasn't until a bit later, which is, you know, one of the cool reasons we read through uh, several chapters at once, that it's like, oh, okay, you can turn it on and off, which makes it much cooler. Um, because then you can just suddenly arrest your momentum if you need to. Right. That's but, uh, yeah, at first when it's just like, yeah, it's an, an immovable plate. I'm like, well, what, what good is that? I mean, unless someone attacks me while I'm standing in this specific spot where the armor is right now. Right. Uh, yeah. Unless they attack us here in the vaults and I can get behind it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, right. what use is it going to be for me? Um, there was another bit right after the, uh, where Amaryllis is um, laying out the back and the back, back formation hypothesis. Uh, mm-hmm. And he looks at them. He's like, you've been talking to each other. And Fen says, of course we're a team. That's what we do. Did you think we had a self-confessed mentally diseased team member and not talk about it with each other? I'm not that irresponsible. Yeah. And, uh, she's fairly irresponsible, so you know how uh, you know unstable she thought June was, 
And yes. I really liked how this went down. Emberless says, we didn't mean anything by it. It was nothing that we wouldn't have said in front of you. There were just, and then ominously, decisions that we needed to be prepared for. Yeah. Um, a, I'm curious what that is. But then B, he says, ah, I get it. Like, that's fine. And he gets a loyalty increase and she's surprised. And he's like, no, of course you've, yeah, I sound like a, I sound like an insane person. Frankly, you guys should have been talking about me. That makes perfect sense. And yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> that's I mean, I love that. That's a sign of a rationalist protagonist, right? That he understands you're doing the rational thing and isn't going to be like, oh, I'm all butthurt that you didn't absolutely love me and trust me 100. percent You know, right? Yeah, no, I mean, so. it, the guy comes in and like, oh, I, I mean, I think we even talked about this. You know, he sounds like a crazy person, mm-hmm. and and it, it's the fact that that they're putting up with him at all is only because he has demonstrable abilities. Yeah. Uh, otherwise he would just sound like an insane beggar. So the, the, there is like, she, Emerilis tells him that that is remarkably mature, uh, that he wasn't going to, you know, chastise them for doing what he would have done. And I mean, I, I really like him for that. I, I like everything about the situation, but like, is that remarkably mature or is that just not childish? Cause like, uh, I think, being all butthurt like that, it would just be a childish thing to to go on about. If they're all under 20 years old, then their threshold for remarkably mature might be lower than ours. Okay. And I guess technically mature does mean not childish. So <laughs> maybe I'm just not using the word, you know, putting too much emphasis on the good aspects of that word. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, if I found that two of my friends were were talking about me behind my back, but in a way that was warranted and, uh, you know, appropriate, I think, you know, it would still be, uh, I would be understandable if I was like, hey, you know, that's not cool. You should, you shouldn't be talking about me. And it would be a mark of, of, I, you know, not necessarily maturity, but um, reasonableness for me to concede. Oh, you know what? Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I, I'm glad you guys had that conversation. Yeah. And maybe like, I might get my feelings hurt if they were friends that I'd known for multiple years or whatever, and they were discussing like, what do we do if he completely goes off the rails? But uh, And I'd be like, oh, come on, you should know me better than that. Even if I go completely off the rails, I'm not a violent person. But these these people have known each other for like, what, two weeks now? This is still in territory of like, he seems to be crazy. What happens if one of us triggers his, oh my god, you guys are all secretly undead lizards that I have to slay? right <laughs> yeah i mean he, he could snap at any moment when yeah. the you know when the when the cia tuning thoughts into his uh the fillings into his teeth tell him to turn on them right so exactly yeah. um i i was curious because he pulled this out and i, I skimmed it just because i didn't know what to make of it amaryllis calculates a one in one quintillion or thereabouts odds of him guessing correctly about these artifacts yes i so- don't quite know a how the hell she came up with that from the numbers that we were given and B um, your other thoughts on that. What I'm, what I think this means is that uh, they estimated that there was about a billion entads on, on Arab, right? Something, something along those lines. That's a pretty nice and, number when you think that there's only 5 billion people. Yeah. It's basically one entad per household. Well, it would be if they didn't all accrue into the hands of fucking royalty and oh, other of course. warmongers. Yeah. Right, right, right. Pre- pretending no. that things were even. Yes. Then every household could have their own magical artifact. Yeah. But. uh, Oh, no, wait. Sorry. Quick question. Weren't magical. This was actually a distinction that she made that I was excited about. Magical artifacts are distinct from Enteds, right? Like I can can enchant my sword to set people on fire. 
but that doesn't mean that it was an Entad made artifact. I yes, I guess Entads are specifically those things that are made in a Forge frenzy. Awesome, and, cool. I yeah. just I'm holding out hope that you know we can because remember we saw that gun in uh, that the um, uh, yeah the future coder kind of guy red... yeah it had a rune on it yeah I wonder if that set its targets on fire or something so I'm I'm just I'm hoping that we can do cool stuff with magic uh, equipment that doesn't have to be entad stuff because those will be harder to find the entads you mean yeah yeah probably but if you can just enchant your own weapons that'd be you know really cool. Yeah, put a lesser beast slaying on it or something. Yes. Uh, but what what I assumed that meant is that there's a billion entads in the world, and they ask him, how many magical items did you make for your games in your you know crazy dream skewer uh, imaginations? And he guesses something like between 1 and 2,000, right? So that means that across the entirety of Arab, there's... One to two thousand magic items that he knows by name and what they do out of the one billion, and somehow four of them are right here in this place for him to identify. And what are the chances that out of the you know potential uh, one four four out of a billion entads that could be here, uh, or I guess it's like there's six that I picked up, right? Six out of a billion entads that could be here, four of them come out of the pool of 2000 that he made and she says the after doing some math that it's about one in a quintillion which i'm just gonna trust her on i didn't bother checking because i would need a calculator and apparently she does not which is pretty cool she's an existential risk expert calculating odds like that is part of her job that's a darned good point but yeah when i that almost seems to me like it could be some level of cheating. Maybe, I mean, they're just fresh out of the tutorial, so maybe they're still in easy mode or something, but it almost feels like the game played with the odds a bit to make it so that uh, the majority of the first entans they run into will be ones that June created, and thus he can prove to his companions that he has real knowledge of stuff that he shouldn't have, and so his story isn't complete crazy bullshit dream skewer stuff he actually has some kind of other weird magic that no one can account for hmm yeah it could be that like that the universe set this up for these particular items to be in this particular place because this is where the quest was going to take him is that kind of what you're saying yeah because like i mean let's say that you made a thousand pencils right and right. there's some secret way you can identify those 1000 pencils and then you scattered them across the entirety of the earth at random and then you walk into an office supply store, and out of the one billion pencils that exist on Earth, uh, four of them happen to be <laughs> right there in the pack of 12 that you pick up. Like, what are the fucking chances of that? Apparently, roughly one in one quintillion. So <laughs> yes. um, th- th- there's another compounding factor that I think we could knock a couple of zeros off that quintillion with. Uh, the I, I sus- strongly suspect that there will be a, a heavy overlap between the entads that exist on Arab that June authored in some way and those associated with the Pendrag bloodline because he played these games with Arthur. Oh, yeah. And yes, all the entads she gets are the ones that came for the Pentag- Pendrag bloodline so are far more likely to be ones that he made when he was playing with Arthur. Right. And the ones that, okay. yeah, that, they, that they played games together are going to be the ones that Arthur had when he was king. That makes a total sense. I don't know why he didn't make... Th- oh, you know what? I, if he, if that point occurred to him and he didn't 
you know, voice it to us. I totally get why he didn't voice it to them. He hasn't mentioned that, by the way, your uh, great, great, great grandfather, I think, is some version of my dead best friend. Um, yeah, yeah. He's based on games that we played. Well, he hasn't confessed that part yet, which would also, yeah, be disappointing. You know, it would just be, you know, we talked about this weird hollowness of of what reality would be like to know that you're a chess piece on someone else's game. But uh, I, I think he also hasn't mentioned in particular that the the great beloved king, uh, Uther Pendrag, uh, I think he's my old friend or some variant thereof, right? Yeah. He doesn't want to have that conversation because it's painful, but also it would just be really awkward to have. Yeah. So I'm really looking forward to when he has that awkward conversation, but we'll have to slowly crawl to there because because I'm doing this podcast for some reason. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad you are continuing to stick with the podcast. This is a lot of fun for me. I'm having fun too. Don't worry. It's it's worth the pain. Um, So then, irregardless of all this chatter, Finn wants to move along and uses the word irregardless. Yes. Because she is, as I called it, 100% troll. Agreed. We're going to find out that's some weird part of her backstory. <laughs> she's, she's in fact, not half elf or half person. She's just all troll. Well, both of her parents were half troll. And she, uh, she not downloaded, inherited. Thank you. She inherited all of the uh, troll from them. So she's, she's 100% troll again. That checks out. Yep. Uh, anyway, yeah, I... I as I was going through this, I was assigning people points like, all right, plus two to Amaryllis for this, plus one to June. I I uh, took a point off of uh, Fen for that, even though I know she was doing it to be annoying. But it's uh, I, I can't forgive that. I, it's, um, but it's I mean, so you you subtract minus one point for that, but you don't subtract minus one point for puns, and like this is not any any worse than a pun. Puns are clever and funny. The, it is not. It is not merely. Both, I disagree on both points, sir. They it is not merely abusing. Funny. It is not merely abusing the English language or failing to use it correctly. Uh, again, I must disagree. Puns mm. are entirely about using the English language correct incorrectly and and thinking that that's funny for some reason. Well, we'll we'll, we'll have to let this debate uh, just rage or uh, uh, smolder in the background while we power through. So. Okay, cool. Um, anyway, she gets she gets a point back very quickly um, when she says, uh, well, add that, because after the one and quintillion thing, she's like, well, add that to the old mystery pile then. I helped. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And yeah, then, then he's playing with the any blade, which is really cool. It's the sword that looked so dull that it just looked like plain dull sword. It actually can turn into any bladed weapon. And uh, that's pretty damn cool. And June has this sad thought that Raymer probably would have loved to be here. Oh, oh yeah. Um, and I was like, sad and dot, dot, dot. What's that noise? Distant looming thunderstorms? Um, now, I suspect. Wh- why did you say if, that? I don't get that. Because Raymer might be running around here somewhere, too. Uh, oh, in the same, in the same how- way that Arthur is. Okay, so I, I get now, sort of. Like, I understand your intention, but what does distant looming thunderstorms, how, how does that tie in why should i have understood that from those words you shouldn't have it was for me um i mean so it's it's a it's an ominous uh sort of realization you know theatrical thing right and raymer oh, okay. was made, so made notoriously saying- uh game breaking and and uh sinister characters so if if one of his characters is running around here that's bad news 
Gotcha. So distant looming thunder is your special effects for uh, foreshadowing. Or, you know, uh, ominous bad news. Speaking of thunderstorms, it is currently thunderstorming right now as we record. So if you guys hear that, that's what that is. Oh, for me, it is just really cloudy overhead. No thunderstorms yet. Make sure your windows are up or down or whichever, you know, car windows up, house windows down because it's going to be coming down here soon. Some windows go side to side. Oh, dear. Well, we're screwed. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, Oh, yeah. So she gets in her uh, um, she puts on her dope ass armor, which uh, I, I can't wait to see in action. You know, more action than fighting one-inch tall fairies. Yeah, and we get one of the best physical descriptions of Amaryllis we've gotten when she puts this on. Uh, Do you want me to read it, or do you want to read it? Oh, uh... You know, we'll just say there was a great description. And moving on... um, (laughs) (laughs) No! I mean, in in short, it lists how instead of becoming pretty, she became deadly. And, like, she was always deadly, but this just brought it out. He finally saw it made manifest in the flesh and it ends with the line she would display as much compassion and regret as a claymore mine just mm, fantastic yeah uh you know i think june in the back of his mind already knew this but better late than ever for him to explicitly realize this um i think his his thoughts were like she would scythe her way through an army and stand on a mountain of corpses if she thought that was necessary and yeah. uh yeah i mean that plus the armor is putting some berserk uh uh memories in my head so the there's i think i mentioned the berserker armor oh yeah when she puts the helmet on it like hit closes with a hiss um Mm -hmm. other than being this you know bright gold his was uh dark black um the there there's a similar vibe here uh the the berserker armor is its own awesome cool artifact that we'll have to talk about later but um it's it's not relevant here, but between that and the the symbolism or imagery of standing on a mountain of corpses to get to your goals, uh, somebody knows what I'm talking about. So, um, all right. Uh, so then uh, <laughs> the answer was six. I was six sure she was on my side. <laughs> yes. The only reason I didn't hi- call that out was because I was highlighting basically the entire first chapter here. Yeah. But I, I I love that. And he's also not sure six out of what, so it doesn't help him all that much. Like, is right. it six, six out, out of ten, six? six out of a hundred? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's nice to have an answer, at least. He is six, sure. Right. And so. And we get a description of the flicker blade, which just can flicker in and out of existence by, I'm assuming it's a act of will and not a button that you push. But, uh,. Yeah, she can flicker it in and out of existence, and when it flickers in, it does that thing that happens when you materialize in the middle of something where that thing gets destroyed, and the blade stays completely yeah, intact. So it, I liked how that didn't occur to her to test that. Maybe she just hasn't seen enough movies, but that's that's how exactly how I assumed it would work, right? Yeah. Uh, alternately, I guess it could materialize, like, say it could come out of the hilt like a lightsaber and just stop short if it was already touching something. It could have been boring like that, but... This is kind of cool. All she has to do is point the hilt at somebody at point blank and uh, turn the sword on and she's skewered them. So mm-hmm. uh, that reminds that. me, I'm, I'm going to forget to mention this later, I think. So I need to jump ahead um, when he starts mining his own bones for power, which is super awesome. We'll talk about that in more detail later. I had this thought right before we started recording that I didn't put in the notes that if he can do that shit in combat to an enemy, that'd be awesome. Yes. But I don't know if he has to be touch touching the bones. the bones or is he has to be like really close to touching the bones. I think he 
I mean, so far in every case we've seen, they've had been touching the bones, and you know, he just has the technicality that he's always touching his own bones. Hmm. Okay, so you have to pretty harm, you know, pretty well harm the enemy to be able to touch their bones. But it's not out of the question that I mean, you know, half those Fusha Coterie people, uh, you know, he could cut down to the bone before they stopped fighting, so he could just like you know get a good cut in, grab their arm, shove his finger in, touch the bone, pull out the endurance and power or something, and then just throw them across the street or whatever. Hell yeah, uh, that would be fucking awesome. And then he can also do that to like downed enemies. Um, he doesn't get a chance because he's busy, but if he had done that with a thumb seeker, that'd have been really cool. You know, so instead I, of just Naruto running across the desert, he could have cut one's head off, stuck his hand, you know, or cut it in, in as much pieces as he could really quick, stuck in, grabbed its ribs, and then just sucked all the power out of that, out of that too. Yeah. An idea for later, but he was busy. So anyway, I just, I, I just needed to think of the, the bone magic in combat. But yeah, having to touch their bones directly does put a huge limitation on it. So unless he can touch it with blood magic. Um, Ooh, you probably could because the blood magic counts as part of him. And so I wonder if like higher level blood magic lets you control other people's blood like your own blood. Because uh, blood bending was a thing in Avatar. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm looking forward to see how abused like how how much he can abuse the world with, with all these powers. Um or how much rather the powers will let him abuse the world. Maybe there's, you know, realistic caps on these things. So So then they open up the Jara fairies. Did they do the the clonal kit yet, or is that later? Um I think I don't, they at I don't least... remember what order it's in, but at some point they do the they've got this kit that if you think of a, of a profession, it'll give you essentially a starter kit for that profession. Um, which you can sort of guide by concentrating hard and you have to pay back what you take out of it. So that's, I mean, it is realistically cheesable in a way that they take advantage of, but that's kind of cool. And it has a really well thought out limitation. Um, yeah, it I, is I, I, I like that a lot. It's that, yeah, it's a great sign of like, uh, you know, the, the time turner only working for six hours in methods of rationality, right? Yeah. As opposed to and- as many as you want, presumably in Canon where it's like, why is someone not changing the world by using this all the time? And, and so I think it's it's an indication of just how good of a GM um, or DM June must have been because this is one of those magic items that like there's a lot of simple magic items like sword of slaying or whatever that are really powerful and useful and everyone wants them, but like magic items like this that are just creative and not necessarily overpowered but really fun. There's all these starter kits for various professions that you can get in uh, D&D, and they're neat, but, you know, you can't carry them all, and who knows which one you'll need. But, like, having this sort of thing is just such a cool thing to play around with that it would make any game it was in significantly more fun. And it's just another, you know, uh, tip my hat to Alexander for thinking of this, right? Like, mm-hmm. as good of a DM as June is, it's because Alexander's that that fucking smart to think of all this stuff. Right, exactly. I love it. It's great. Yes. All right. So so they were not properly paranoid when they opened up this jar of fairies. <laughs> they, they they put a butterfly net over it without weighing it. And I liked how when they get the butterfly net out, um, they like, or what was it? Fen thinks of a profession that specializes in butterfly catching or something. And he, in his mind, he was like, I call bullshit. But then a net comes out anyway. He's like, all right, fine, whatever. <laughs> yeah. It rang of it had the it had the the ring of pure bullshit to me. 
Well, you take what the game will give you. That's right. So, yes, they uh, the game gives them plenty of fairies, which, despite being one inch tall and made of marzipan, which is what, like uh, almond butter? Yes, yeah, kind of like almond paste, I think. I had to look it up, but an almond paste that has honey in it or something? I know I've seen, like, marzipan cookies or something, but... I mean, I get, at the very least, I get the feeling you could totally like just squish these with your fingers because they're going to be mushy, but they've got claws and teeth and uh, they basically go all, you know, tailor on his ass and start ripping at his eyelids, his uh, that little dingleberry in the back of your throat, his uvula, um, yes, nostrils, no longer have. ears, really? Yeah. Fairies got to you, of- huh? <laughs> yes those motherfuckers but i i won in the end now as part of the uppp surgery to cure sleep apnea they tear out a bunch of shit in the back of your throat oof i mean you know it's not pleasant but it is totally worth it my life became much better once i was able to get enough oxygen while i was sleeping so i need to look into that i, I mean it's different than snoring it's because you're you're sitting there actually like stime, you know, stalling for breath uh, yes, but it often does have the side effect of also creating an immense amount of snoring. Hmm. Because, you know, it just stops up the back of the, or your wind passageway while you're, uh, while you're sleeping. And how, how did you know you had it? Just because you were snoring a lot or because, like, you woke up, you know, almost passed out from lack of oxygen? Uh, I was told I snore immense amounts by the people that were sleeping next to me and uh, by the people that were sleeping next to me, I mean, just my wife, because at the time I was, you know, young and stupid and, uh, married the first person right away. Anyways. Uh, yeah, there, there was that, um, I often didn't get very good sleep and she told me like, you stop, I think you stop breathing in the night and it scares the fuck out of me. And she didn't use the word fuck. She's a good Christian girl, whatever. Um, but uh, so, yeah, I went in and got tested. And it's a very simple test. They hook up a bunch of wires to you and make you sleep overnight in their lab. And they're like, yep, you got the sleep apnea. And this is one of the ways that we can cure it. And you're actually a pretty darn good candidate for it. So I went in, got the surgery, and it just made my life a hell of a lot better. Excellent. I appreciate that digression because I sleep like crap. And if there's any, like, surgical options to fixing that that sounds like a great life hack um, yeah does your so say that you stop uh, breathing at night at all no not that i'm aware of no. but i i get uh sleep paralysis once in a while which is associated with that um, yeah. well you may want to go to one of those uh sleep labs yeah I, I feel like the fun part of that is like i'm gonna have a hard the hardest time ever falling asleep but i'm sure they are prepared for that so um yeah. anyway yes i will do some science eventually and figure out if i can get head surgery to sleep better um <laughs> all right uh they're being attacked by these little fairies which again i they're like the size of bumblebees is what i'm picturing except they've got you know fierce little fingers and angry angry little eyes and little teeth and uh like i said they go full uh skitter on their asses and amaryllis does an emergency tracheotomy on june because one is like ripping at that uh is that your epiglottis the the flap that keeps you from uh inhaling solids Yes, I think so. And can can we pause for a second real quick to think to to appreciate how fucking crazy it is that she just got this sword and she turns off the hilt and estimates exactly where the point is going to be and turns it back on and that's where it is instead of slicing all the way through June. Like I would not have been that secure in my sword length estimation skills. So I mean, yes, she's an adept sword swordsman, but I, I was or swords swordswoman, excuse me. Um, 
but I was curious about that. So it doesn't manifest the full length of the sword? No, I think it manifests the full length. She just like was very good at estimating how long it is. But you said that it didn't that she didn't cut all the way through him, but it would have essentially by manifesting the whole sword. She just well, she, it, she she got to go straight to the point rather than stabbing into him. Yes. I mean, it still cut out the front of him, but like it didn't go back through his spine because she misjudged by two inches or something. Oh, yeah, totally. I just feel like it would have been safer to have the thing, you know, have it existent the whole time and then work it into his throat rather than just guesstimate and eyeball it. Like, I kind of agree, but on the other hand, I think it's hard to hold someone down and keep them from squirming when you're trying to work a sword into their throat. And <laughs> he, they're, There they're, probably would have been more damage done. That's a really good point. This was a lot faster and had a lot less collateral damage to the rest of his throat parts. And not to mention that even if he was trying to cooperate, there's a fairy, like, in his in the middle of his neck parts, you know, gripping on everything it can, that's going to keep him uh, pretty wiggly until... <laughs> until she gets a chance to to uh kill it so um and then there's just the hilarious bit at the end where so anyway they 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 beat the fairies they're all plinking off of amaryllis's armor uh and so she she makes a joke about or something about like uh you know well at least you know it's it's useful and the only cost was pain and fen says yeah sure easy to say when you're not hurt and she's like "Yeah, yeah it is and conciliatory nod um but anyway, the there, there's just a funny image of them then like scraping up these corpses off the ground and shoveling them into their mouths because they're not just food. They also heal you. So he gets to heal his, uh, I think like, I mean, his eyelet, his eyelids and everything were missing. Um, and they, they were kind of a mess. Yeah. So kind of gross. Uh, but hey, you know, if you've got a pocket full of, of almond fairies, then you can uh, heal that take- right up. Yeah, take take some sweet damage. I wonder, I mean, this is going to be something built into the, the urn, right? But let's say it has a replenish rate of one fairy every two hours or something, whatever mm-hmm. the whatever the, the rate is. Mm-hmm. I wonder if you can extract as many fairies as you want and put them in a separate jar and then yeah. just well, have jars of fairies. Or is there I like a hard so, limit he on puts it? Him, he puts them on the bandoliers afterwards, right? Yeah, but I was, I'm wondering if that like, if that relates to how many can exist, uh, like... Can can keep being created by the jar. Um, oh, oh! So they like maybe there's an upper limit of a hundred fairies in the world or something, right? Okay, Be- because uh, otherwise he sh- he should just always have all of his pockets and all of his bags of holding full of these things. Right. A, they'd sell for a fortune, and B, uh, it's just it, it would make a lot of sense to have them available to you all the time. But yeah. I'm assuming that yeah, at some point, you know, once there's a hundred out there, it just stops making them until you start eating some of those, or they are otherwise lost or destroyed or something that very well could be speaking of like eyelids being ripped off and uvulas being (laughs) battered around and shit uh fence says why would you make a thing like that how is that fun for anyone (laughs) and and like the 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 point is that like when it's in a game and you're just sitting around the table rolling dice it's actually kind of fun it's not like you are getting your eyelids ripped off and he said the the jar of killer fairies had been part of a pretend world with only fictional consequences. And I think that is like that. First of all, that's a good point because exciting is often bad in real life. There's a lot of things in life. You do not want to be exciting. My taxes should not be an exciting adventure, <laughs> um, but also like a lot of things we do that are a lot of fun are just like safe simulations of bad stuff. Like going to see movies is 
the simulation of like being in, in an action adventure thing, getting on a roller coaster is a simulation of almost plummeting to your death. There's there's a lot of things that are simulations of bad stuff that are fun because they're safe, right? And and they're more enjoyable because our lives are so relaxed, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, if if we were really constantly defending our homeland from invaders, uh, you know, watching 300 would be more like nerve wracking than it would be fun. Maybe. I don't know. Like people back then still had myths and stuff that they would tell around around the hearth and about how awesome it was to be the uh, the badass Hercules or Ulysses or whatever that was beating people up and taking their loots. Yeah, I guess hearing about uh, I mean, because they basically lose. Maybe it's not the best example, but I hear I take the point um, that. Oh, there's another funny thing I was going to say there, too, where uh, Fen points out, June, if you really did invent that thing through some stupid metaphysical loophole, I'm going to. I'm going to cut off your limbs and consume your flesh. <laughs> I was like, there's our little adorable cannibal. Yeah. What I'm surprised about, I mean, not surprised, but what was interesting, cut off your limbs and consume your flesh. That's not usually how you threaten to eat somebody. You know, consume your flesh is a very polite and like formal way of saying, I'm going to fucking eat you, right? Um, yeah, I guess so. I don't know. It, it, what, what it speaks to me is a practice. That, yes. You know, yes. This Maybe is, elves are very polite about their cannibalism. I, this, I think this is no idle threat and not the first time that she is, has uh, told somebody that she's going to eat them. And now she's, she's got some she, finesse on it. You think she has a, uh, a taste for the long pig? I definitely think so. <laughs> I don't know if I called that out in explicit. I did say something about skin lamps, but um, I put that on the official prediction list. Fen has eaten somebody. In fact, I think, that's already, I think that's already given. She said that she's consumed very few humans in her time, and that's more than zero. So I might yeah, already know the answer was- to that. That's very, at least I assumed that it was a joke when she said it. Probably. Maybe. All right. I think Fen ate somebody. Okay. All right. I'll yeah, write that I, down. I, I, this, <laughs> this whole thing about like things that are fun in games are not necessarily fun to live through. I So I admit I have not read a lot of lit RPG because of the, the I don't know, sort of embarrassment or shame or whatever that I felt that I talked about in our um, intro episode. But uh it, it sort of feels like calling out lit RPG and and entertainment fiction in general uh, that that this would not be fun to do and people that are heroes in these things would not be having a great time as opposed to how they are usually written as like this is a great adventure and everything is awesome as long as you're winning kind of thing. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I that's the that's a level of literary analysis that goes uh, beyond my. Uh, my skill in this in this uh discipline but i do, I do like what you're saying um i don't have much else i don't have much to respond on it with it with it though so okay yeah crap we've already been shit we should speed this up because we got four chapters today okay sorry don't worry. the last the last three are boring so we'll uh we'll power <laughs> right, through. nothing happens after this yep i'm powering through uh they're gonna go try and dig out the uh um teleportation pad and as uh <laughs> Uh, oh, because they hear a helicopter coming, which yes. is, of course, good news. And then uh, as they're trying to reach for it, Fen says, hey, you know, uh, I've always thought your your upper arm was your most fetching feature. I just, She's funny. Her her humor is growing on me. Um, yeah. So in chapter 23, this is the whole thing that like just, you know, and we'll, we, we'll talk about how much we want to talk about it. But the whole thing just felt like a forced cut scene to me. Like there, there are. I, I was trying to think of a good example of a named NPC that was popular. Where, um, you know, it, it, this is a good one. Uh, 
I mean, spoiler for Fallout 3, it came out 15 years ago, but, um, or 10, I don't know what year it is. Uh, you know, the, the dad played by Liam Neeson dies in Fallout 3, um, for reasons that really don't have to happen. Like you're an unstoppable badass. You could run in there, solve the problem that he's in there trying to solve and carry him out of there, but you can't because it's a cutscene. And it like those always feel annoying and, un- and unnatural because it's like the game lets you build up to be this awesome badass. And yet when it counts, you can't move because uh, that's it's scripted. Right. Right. So this, this whole uh, showdown and we'll talk about it with uh, with um, Amon feels totally scripted. So, OK, I okay. I'm going to and rant. I think I'm going to disagree. We, but yeah, we can get to that when we get to that. Yeah. All right. Uh I mean, we don't have to go over all the the rules of wards just because people are supposed to be reading along with the story too. But yes, I do like how uh, he he was frustrated that he was getting crappy answers from Amaryllis, and he says, "I found that really frustrating." So I'll lay some knowledge on you so that so that you're not as annoyed as I was. And I said, "Thanks, homie. I owe you one." <laughs> yeah, uh, that was very handy of him. It really helped to just keep everything going, keep the reader informed. Um, and also, it, this was another acknowledgement that what we're reading is not being written like it it takes a quick break to acknowledge that this is being written by june at some point in the future and uh so he's interjecting knowledge that he didn't have at the time that it was happening now for the sake of the reader and it used to be much more common in the past that uh early novels uh were written as an acknowledgement that the the protagonist has lived through this thing because if he hadn't he couldn't be writing this to you it's it's really weird reading back things written from from that era i think god 1800s uh maybe even up to early 1900s where the the author is much more talking maybe as back as far as the renaissance actually now that i think of it because um uh to like the lightning very much adopts the style uh but anyways where uh the audience they don't have the same sensibilities we have where we are just like completely suspending our disbelief and we're watching a movie as we're reading along and accepting that this is happening as it's happening back then it was very much more a this happened in the past i survived through it let me tell you about what happened now it's not worse or better or anything it's just a different style and it's interesting to to read that kind of thing i can dig it yeah i mean uh you know some movies do that with a voiceover you know by the protagonist um, yes that's true you know kick-ass is another good example of that uh, in the same scene where we take our intro, intro music from, he's talking in his voiceover and he's like, and if you think I'm going to survive just because I'm doing the voiceover, what do you think? Like, I can't remember the exact words, but he's like, you know, you think you're clever or something. What? You never saw Sin City, which I haven't seen, but apparently the the voice, the narrator dies um, because he's like, yeah, man, like that can happen. Uh, mm-hmm. So he, he's acknowledging the, the, the style and then subverting it. But um, the ton of French books that I uh, read two and a half of, of the six that I need to get around to finishing um, are all written like worth the candle where it's the person writing it. And they might as well be writing about it a few weeks after the whole book wraps up. And so okay. it's kind of fun because the tension never comes from, Oh my God, they're going to die. Even though there's periods where it seems like that variable may happen. Uh, the, the ten- and the author knows that because of how they chose to, of how she chose to write it. So the, the, the tension comes from other parts. It's, it, it's a cool approach. Yeah. Um, anyway, our our effort to power through this at more than one chapter an hour is being slowed down here. So um, okay. <laughs> the, you know, wards are are convoluted. Um, there is uh, like <laughs> um, 
how was it? Uh, most words were, while most words were used as barriers, some sufficiently powerful ones annihilated the magic in question instead. A powerful word against blood would annihilate blood that got inside it. This kills the human. <laughs> and uh, so, any, anyway, words are complicated. Complicated. You can summarize them however much you want, or we can push past it. Um, yeah, let's let's keep going. All right. So uh, there was something about. Um, what do you mean? This, ex, the high value buildings were warded against sufficiently high velocities, making them resistant to, if not impervious to, ballistics or explosives. And yeah, I, I remembered being surprised that there were city walls in a modern city way back uh, in like chapter three or four. And we figured, you know, as long as you can just get a steel mage to pop up walls anywhere and move them, it's not that big a deal. Plus, there was the explanation that they control trade and population movement, which was also a good explanation. But uh, now that we learn also that um, you can ward buildings against high velocities to make, you know, shelling not work, uh, that makes even more sense as to why those things are still valuable. Like, I guess you could still fly over cities and bomb them, but uh, they the walls actually do something against frontal assaults. Neat. I mean, walls on Earth do that too, just not as well. <laughs> yes, very poorly. Um, so anyway, uh, Fen's going to go scout out and she says, like, if I die, avenge me or something. Because um, mm-hmm. she keeps saying that. Now, at, at this point, I think that she's just going to say that literally as, as often as she can, which is funny. Um, and... I just like how he says, I'd rather kill them before they kill you. You owe me a favor, which is his nice Malfoy way of saying, you can't die. You're my friend. Yeah. Yeah. That's cute. So, um, and th- I wanted to pull this out too, because again, this is why it felt all cut sceney, un- cut sceney and unnatural to me. Um, mm-hmm. th- they, ha- they have a couple of options. So they- Fen goes, she's like, they've got a uh, gold mage, which apparently is the gold mage from uh, Baron Jewel, which we never saw, but he's apparently a big figure there. Gold mages are metal telekinetics. They're basically uh, um, Magneto, which is cool. And uh, then they have like a rogue with a whatever. They've got a couple. They Basically, the bone mage is the big threat. And then the ward breaker and uh, some random irregular. And so and, and then, of course, the helicopter pilot. Mage. And a velocity mage, too. Oh, right. Not a velocity mage. Sorry. Revision mage. Revision mage. Thank you. Yeah. So, um the yeah they've got a they've got a doctor strange up in the up in here which means that even if they were able to start ripping into the into magneto that the revision mage could just doctor strange him over and over which uh i i can't wait to see how versatile that can be um maybe you can merely heal wounds but there's something magic about dead people um maybe not it was it was interesting because like you know they were saying we can't use our projectile weapons like the bow and uh and regular gun, and we can't use our bow against him basically because he's got the gold mage. He can stop the arrows from hitting him. But uh, so we can hit him with the void uh, weapon. But like the revision mage can reverse the void wounds because void weapons for some reason are not magic with a capital M in this world. And revision mages can't revise the effects of magic. But since void weapons aren't magic, he can just revise all their void weaponry hits backwards. And I thought that was. That was a cool loophole, which I did not see coming. And, you know, oh, shit. Well, it also that's what makes me wonder is like if if they were to land a shot in his head and, you know, he gets a three inch hole in his into his head. He's dead. Right. This kills well, the person. Maybe. Like 
didn't Doctor um, Strange get completely obliterated and then reformed himself? You'll have to watch the movie. I mean, there's, I saw that, that that short clip that was posted in the Discord. There's a special trick to that. Um, oh, okay, okay. So, but the what I'm curious about is if you can revive, if you can rewind death, that actually makes this time magic more and more important, right? Uh, more than just fulfilling my my nerdy fantasies, it also sounds like the most overpowered fucking thing in the universe. Um, well, I mean, you couldn't revise your own death because you'd already be dead, so you can't right. do it. But you could probably revise someone else's death, like the Gold Mages. But that's still immensely amazing, right? Yes. Yes, uh, it is. I mean, e- even if you were uh, not just doing it to save a, a dead loved one or a dead friend, you could just send your party tank into the crowd over and over and revise them or rewind yeah. them and then yeah. have them just keep going at it. Like it's it's pretty fucking awesome if it works that way. Yeah, I, I'm assuming I can see why he would always want a revision mage near him if he could afford it. I would always want a revision mage near me, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, anyway, uh, I can't wait to get a breakdown on how this works when we finally meet a time mage, but we'll get there. So, um, anyway, so th- their plans they can they can try and go fight these people, which they don't th- which they don't think they can win, or they can hide out in the vault and let the wards keep them out. And subsist right. on their fairies, like. And June says, uh, "So the, the, their their other option, if they can go fight these people, is to hijack the helicopter because June's backstory includes uh, helicopter lessons." Um, but June yeah, says, "It was a pilot, right?" June says, "And the thing was, I still wasn't sure hijack a helicopter wasn't the best plan we had available." And I'm like, "Maybe we're missing something, but is that really the best plan? Why not just lock down in the vault and try getting the teleportation pad out first? They don't even try that." The enemy hasn't even shown that they're capable of entering the castle and you have food. And, uh, oh, they, they explain how the enemy became, became alerted. So I can disregard the second part of that note. But, um, I just, I don't get, they could have done both and they, they just went straight to go talk to this person face to face. And that made no sense to me, but we'll get there. I, I think again, this probably comes down to me being a more trusting soul than you. I generally, if it was me, I would have tried to talk to them too, just because I'm like, Hey, you know, we're both, reasonable people here we can talk to each other and work something out right and that that did not work out well for them and wouldn't have worked out well for me either but yeah the 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 more paranoid option of hideout in the vault probably would have been better even for five minutes maybe you know maybe 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 she can get the teleportation pad now like i mean it it, it's not just trusting this person ambushed them at her castle well i mean he didn't ambush necessarily they flew over to it that's not an ambush yet hmm I guess. All right. Well, I will. Uh, we'll power through. Um, so, where are we at? Uh, uh, yes, oh, Sven so is off scouting. Yes. Yeah. So then, basically, Amaryllis is bullying him into spending his points, <laughs> uh, which is exactly what I was talking about last episode. That just holding on to your points seems like a dumb idea. I, I get she was indecision. bullying him though. She was. She was uh, convincing, putting forth a logical oh. argument. I, well, I, I know bullying is is tongue in cheek. She's uh, she's very much strong arming him by pointing out, "Hey, look, this could get us killed if you're deciding to hold out for whatever thing we don't even know yet. Like, pick something before before your indecision kills us." Which is, is it really strong arming someone to point out that their indecision could kill you? Yes, uh, okay. it doesn't mean it's a bad thing. Um, but I, you know, I guess I won't get hung up on what strong arming actually means, but. She she makes a very compelling argument to the point that yeah, it basically 
forces him into do, doing something which, you know, I he he eventually settles on going blade bound, which again doesn't feel like the kind of thing that he should be doing. I don't know what it is either, but mm-hmm. you know, he, he's not gonna he's not gonna start ripping the world apart and fixing it by being really good at cutting stuff with a sword, right? That's yeah, that's true. But on the other hand, like getting to become a Jedi basically pretty badass. I mean, Quills went down easy enough. Yeah, and he, and he yeah, didn't do know, he didn't do anything perfect. remarkable either, right? So yeah, I mean, okay. sure, you can again. Don't get me wrong; it's cool. It'd be a cool mm-hmm. thing to do if it was me. But I'm not the destined hero with with a magic game layer that lets me have some indication that I might be able to rival the gods, right? Uh, You've also like if I was uh, sorry if you were hmm? no no go ahead. Well, I, I mean, in a less um, dire situation, I could. I could see holding on to stuff, but it looks like they may have to go into combat real soon against a gold mage and a revision mage and getting closer to blade bound might be a darn good idea right now. Yeah. I don't know. I, maybe I would have just dropped him in luck, you know? That's uh, yeah. Luck probably would have been a good idea too. I, I guess it's awesome. It's specifically, it's not that he picked uh blade bound in particular. It's that he picked something like, I, I still have this this feeling that he, you know, the, the one that he articulates that he doesn't have uh, the, um, he hasn't found the thing that, oh, I, now I know what I need to do. I can invest in this and become the best at it and save the world. He's, there's there's going to be no level of swinging a sword that'll save the world, right? Yeah. But anyway, you know, it's not, it's not like he's, he's committed to that path. It's just that he's, he's taken steps along it at this, at the, uh, cost of chasing other paths further down so right there is a level of swinging a sword that could save his own life which could lead to saving the world later totally valid and that's the point Amaryllis is making too and you you both make a compelling argument i'm not saying it's wrong it just it's yeah not the one you would have gone with i don't know what i would have done i mean she makes a good point i might have been persuaded but i still would have felt you know weird about it just like i think june does Mm. so uh all right so he's going blade bound blade bound and uh perry so you you pulled this out about Perry that uh, he says that wasn't going anywhere until I raised its secondary stat of ints. I forgot what ints is. Um, insight. Insight. That's right. And I was confused that insight was the secondary stat of Perry because I thought it was endurance because of how it's laid out on the character sheet. Yeah, but I apparently the character sheet doesn't either. Either it's formatted weird, or there is a mistake, or where something is on the grid doesn't actually relate to its actual traits. Yeah, I went I went and looked that at that too after you pointed that out because like I never really had the character sheet sheet pulled up. I just sort of went with it, you know. And I went and looked and yeah, it it doesn't where it appears where Perry appears doesn't relate at all to its primary or secondary stats. So I I'm assuming at this point that the grid is just the grid, skill grid is just unrelated to uh to the the stats, which is I don't know. I don't like the way it's laid out if that's the case, because it looks like they should be related to the stats that they're to the right of, right? Why else put it on a grid? Um, yeah. I, I did notice too that I think um, luck has some skills to the right of it, but luck doesn't govern anything. So it makes sense that not everything on the grid aligns with the skill to its left or with the yeah. uh, ability to its left or whatever, trait, stat, whatever. Yeah, um, luck has romance, intent. Imit- intimidation and deception and i can almost maybe see romance because people say getting lucky even though that really should be a charisma thing but like <laughs> <laughs> but with intimidate and deception i think i i 
it just makes me more strongly suspect that they're not actually related. Well, those both actually sound super luck related to me, but luck explicitly doesn't govern any stats. Yes. So it's, you know, like whether or not I say the right thing to intimidate you correctly or I correctly deceive you, those sound like luck rolls, but luck doesn't govern anything that way. Yeah. Uh, just because that, that was called out on how the character sheet works. So mm-hmm. anyway, um, it, there was a social ability. So what did he go? What did they actually put his points in? Um, let me see. Uh, here. Yeah. Uh, oh, look, there's the character sheet on this. Yeah. When I read this on my phone, I can't really see the character sheets. So um, let's see. He puts them in. Uh, does he put them both in insight? No, he puts uh, shoot. Sorry. No, he, put, he puts one uh, in social. Sorry. Tell me what he does. Uh, he puts, so he's got at this point four, four points to uh, put to distribute because he's leveled up twice without spending any. Uh, he puts two into the general physical category, which makes all his physical stats go up by one, which gives you the cool little spend two points to get three points deal, but they're, you know, spread out. And then he put the other two in inside, I believe, to, uh, to get the... Oh, that's right. Yeah, so he could have put just one into social, which would cost two points, and raised his charisma, insight, and poise, but he uh, forsakes that to put two into insight. Um, All right, fair enough. So at least I see what he did. And he, like me, was also wondering if he'd go suddenly Sherlock, but it seems like two more insight isn't enough to do that. Although he does do some insight-y things later, but I wonder how much of that, again, is purely placebo. (laughs) Um, He's like, I wonder if I could have thought that before. but it's, uh, you know, I wonder, it'd be kind of fun, you know, he won't, unless he does get to reroll a character at some point and does this over and over, it'd be fun to hold on to a bunch of points and then just go from, I think everything started out at two. So just like have two insight and then level it up as high as you can with as many points as you've accrued so far, uh, mm-hmm. just to see if, if you can go suddenly Sherlock, that'd be fun. Uh, but alas, so, um, he, Fen comes back and, and says like, oh yeah, so here's the here's the, the good news. Um, and then three bits of bad news, which is again, the gold mage and uh, how bad the, we talked about that the situation looked. Um, so the, what I didn't get was, uh, um, well, first off, it was really funny. Uh, the gold mage, like I said, was off screen apparently in, in, uh, Baron Jewel, but Fen, when she was poking around during the montage scene, apparently found out about him. He's a an important figure there. I'm not sure if he's hired muscle or if he's a noble or whatever, but um, he, I don't he, think that hired muscle would ever be an important figure. Right. Someone yeah. important would have to be known by like the mayor or whatever. Yeah, he's wearing silks and not shoes. So he's clearly important. Um, <laughs> and, and he's not he's not money for hire because he's clearly leading these guys. But I guess I don't know what a bone mage does that's like legitimate income. Um, or excuse me, not bone mage, gold mage. Uh, maybe he can extract gold from mountains. I mean, maybe he is like Batman where he has other things that give him money and the gold mage is like, like a magneto power he has, but it's not what he does to uses what he makes a living off of. Oh yeah, that's fair. Um, anyway, what's really funny is the guy's name is Amin and apparently he's supposed to be fairly ruthless. And Fen is saying that Amon isn't very agreeable. See, that's a pun, and that was hilarious. Oh, because of Amon's agree- uh, Amon's agreement theorem. Amon's agreement theorem. Okay, yeah, yeah. no. Um, 
Yeah. Okay. I mean, thank you for 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 acknowledging my 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 joke. Apparently, it wasn't as good as I thought I, it was. I acknowledge <laughs> it as a joke. <laughs> well, I I had my own little cool thing that I liked. Um, I didn't think it was like funny, funny, but it was a thing that I enjoyed. I like the fact that the gold mage is literally named Gold Man because uh, AU being the the Latin root for for I mean that's why it's AU is the gold element on oh, the yeah. periodic table charts. Yeah, and Aurelis means like golden one, and yeah, Amen is basically Gold Man. So cool name for a gold mage. That's really funny. Makes you wonder if he was born with that name or if he picked it when he chose his profession. You know, since it's a game, it could be that he was just born with it. Oh, yeah. Kind of like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, if he had been named, uh, uh, can't think of another clever one. If he had been named Town Guard by his parents, he'd have been a Town Guard instead. <laughs> exactly. Oh, so we get this um, this cutback. So they go meet with Amon for reasons that I'm hoping you can explain to me. Because they're going to go for diplomacy rather than hiding out, even though they have shown that their fortress is so far un- un- impregnable and they're uh, they're as safe as they can be. They're like, you know what? Let's go stand in harm's way. Um, you know, this guy well, brought this guy brought a stri- this guy brought a strike team and and uh, is trying to force his way into my castle. Let's go talk to him. I mean, so I think the primary reason they want to talk to him is because he has a helicopter, so he can get them out of here and back to town. Hmm yeah fair but they haven't tried the teleportation pad yet well they can't get it out of her arm they haven't but they haven't tried since they got here right she, they? no they they talked about it um but then they were, then they went off to go look at least if they did it was off screen um okay she 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 was going to take off her armor and they were going to tr- have another try at it or something but they never actually talk about doing that oh he showed up before they they actually did it yeah okay but you know Again, it we'll see how it all shakes out. I'm sure it'll be fun. Like I said, I'm not I'm not saying the story is doing a bad job. I'm just it this is where it feels unnatural. I feel like the game might be pushing things to go in this direction because this does not seem like anyone did anything smart here. Um not like, you know, bad kind of stupid, just like it seemed uncharacteristic. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I I personally always try to take the diplomacy routes in video games whenever I can because I think they're the most fun. And so I didn't have a problem with this. I was like, yeah, cool. Do the diplomacy route. But, uh, you know, the, their options were basically hide until he goes away. And then you still have to figure out some fucking way to get back home or talk to the dude and see if you can hit your right on his helicopter. And like, what, what could go that wrong with talking to him? It's not like they don't have all these wards and magic items and shit to protect them. So might as well just talk to him from around the corner and that should be okay. Right. Well, like it seemed reasonable to me despite the fact that it turned out not to be okay yeah i mean i guess for me i saw you know it not going well immediately um so i mean diplomacy route in a game is fun but to amaryllis and fen this isn't a game uh you know it's it's like what they should be doing so it is one thing yeah to talk to the guy safely from around the corner another thing entirely to let him come right up to you and point a gun in your face uh but yeah you know so there was a quick cutaway um and maybe you can help me explain exactly what's going on here too. I only got a chance to read. I had to skim through my second time to get caught up with this again. So um, they, so they're talking with Amon. He's around the corner because they're he's his his warder is merely like bending the wards enough for him to get in that far. She mm-hmm. hasn't she hasn't given him the easement of you're you're allowed in. And so uh, they're he's like, oh yes, I put a ward around here so that your teleport your teleport your teleportation pad won't work. And 
there's this kind of moment of where June feels it and we're feeling it. And it's like, wait, but that's not why we can't use the teleportation pad. Yeah. We, we can't use it because we can't get it out, which I remember that the, the tattoo artist looked, uh, it said that he looked scared uh, or had fear in his eyes or something. So it could be that he was, you know, told by maybe, well, I guess not this guy, because he would have known what was up, but somebody else then in Baron Jewel, Hey, when this super hottie comes to you and asks for a tattoo that lets her put stuff in her, uh, you fuck that thing up. Um, it could be that. Maybe that's why he looked nervous. Uh, anyway, so I put down my it cut. There's a cutaway. I put down my my can of Mountain Dew, gave the group my best evil smile, and began chuckling. You fools! Uh, you believed. T- anyway, he's pretending to be this uh, whatever lord or something, and he says your meal is poisoned. And with that, my son's death will be avenged. And Tiff calls a timeout, and it's like, wait, we're immune to poison. Yep. And uh, the and Raymer looks up from his notes. Uh, if the clerk, if the court clerk would please you back the record, uh, the whatever it is we have in our mouths protect us from poison. Yes, they do. So why is he poisoning us? And it's like because he doesn't know that you have that, right? Yeah, he, he had his own awesome plot of I, I got it. I'll invite these idiots here and poison them, and I will get to gloat about how dumb they are, and I got to poison them without ever yeah. thinking for a moment that they thought ahead and uh, prepared to not be poisoned. It was it was a great little moment in their game. And I, I also like that he points out that if uh, if the, who, what is he, a duke or whoever was the guy that poisoned them, if he'd been a cleverer man or less consumed by reputation, he would have just waited until you were dead and not gloated about it. Uh, then the poisoning fails for reasons he can't comprehend. And I mean, on, on the one hand, like this is a good lesson in general. Like if you're trying to get away with something don't fucking gloat about it until you're absolutely 100% sure you've gotten away with it. Like everything is over. The bodies are on the floor, but man, like half the point of revenge is getting to rub it in the face of the person that you're avenging yourself on, you know? Yeah. Like if, if, if they just die and never quite know what happened, that's, that's cool and all, but I really would like them to suffer too. Maybe you just start laughing as they start falling over, you know? And then yeah. you get to feel all badass when you tell your friends about how smart you were when you poisoned these people or something, which, yeah, is, right. is less fun than monologuing, but safer. It's a trade off, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. It, it is fun. And it, it, it's just the idea that and Harry talks about this a bit, too, in Methods of Rationality, where um, like when all of Hermione's magic trinkets don't work and she gets killed by Voldemort, where, yeah. uh, of course, Voldemort wouldn't just stand there while we set her up to, to be secured and safe. He's going to do his own thing and have his own plans. And this is just, and obviously there's some meta stuff here for the whole story where, look, there are background things happening and wheels in motion that we don't, that we aren't aware of yet. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, we need to, we need to be prepared for all of this stuff. And what's fun too, is when they, you know, presumably when his party during this flashback had those, whatever tongue wigs on, um, they didn't put them on so that they could survive being poisoned by this guy. They had them on for some other reason, and they happened to work for poison resistance, right? Yes. So it's, well, it's just, I believe they are just always on because they ate and replaced their tongues, which is, ew, gross and creepy, but I guess if you get a cool magic item out of it. <laughs> right. Um, but it, but it's, the, it's the fact that they weren't preparing for specifically the situation. They were just prepared in general, and it let them survive the situation with the guy trying to poison them. Yes, which just uh, it just speaks well to being a, a, a you know above and beyond paranoid. Um, yeah, 
And it and also it, points out that this this world, as much as it looks like it was made for June, does not revolve entirely around June. And when he's not on screen, the people disappear. Like they have their own lives and plans, and other things are happening regardless of what he does. Like this is a full living world, and you can't just take it for granted that only things that you have access to matter. Yes and no. I mean, that is something that he should be operating on just in case, but like it happens all the time in games where, you know, you go off to go find MacGuffin number four of five. And then while you're out, oh no, someone broke in and stole the first three MacGuffins again. Right. And so things can happen while you're not there all the time. And they are all about you. Um, This turned out to be like less directly about him, but uh, I do like the, um, just sort of the general lesson of like, yes, there can be more than one plotter and more than one plot. Yeah. Yeah. I also, while all this was going on, I pulled out this line about uh, Raymer when he's complaining. You remember that rogue I built? And then we spent like three months real time fighting only things with sneak attack immunity, which tells me, first of all, he built a rogue that had basically instant one shot kills against anything you could get a sneak attack on. And um, yeah, yeah, Raymer. When you break the combat of a game where combat is supposed to be a fun part of the game, the game has to break back or there is no fucking game. (laughs) (laughs) That is one of the things munchkins never seem to quite learn. You make the quick draw, never missing, auto-exploding grenade launcher, and suddenly you're going to run into enemies that have magical anti-grenade fields on all the time. Right. Yeah, this is uh, the game will munchkin back. Mm -hmm. Um, All right, so... I hear trying to work backward a little bit and extrapolating some. This was Amon's plan. Use exploits on unpatched wards to set up a second anti-teleportation t- ward on top of the first that would allow people to teleport in, but not out. Um, I'm not sure what the first anti-teleportation p- ward was. Uh, I think that's the one that comes with the, uh, that was built into the castle when they built it. That doesn't let people te- teleport in except for one special room, which is heavily guarded. Oh, oh, so it's set up on top of that, like, because that ward was already there, it expanded on it. Yeah, well, because it said that that's a common feature in a lot of secure locations. They make the entire location uh, teleport proof, except for, like, one room that's specially made to receive teleports, and that's always under heavy guard. And that sort of makes sense, too. Like, we haven't seen it, but I imagine teleporting into somebody is lethal, probably for both of you. So you don't want to teleport into the crowded hallway or whatever. Um, Right. Well, and also you don't want to have the ability for anyone just to teleport anywhere into your fortress at any time. Uh, so you set up those wards. Right, yeah. I guess it, it wouldn't be literally anybody. It would only be people who had been there before. But, you know, that could be a lot of people. And, yeah, or it could be anyone that's been there before that is being extorted by somebody who wants to break in, right? So only yeah. one person using the teleportation pad has to, has to have been there. So, if you know, if my friend the Duke visited and then somebody wanted to, you know, whatever, kidnap his children and say, now take me there so I can go kill the king. Um, mm-hmm. You want you want the teleportation room to be heavily guarded and a known location. That makes sense. Um, so Amon's plan number two, set up a detection board to find out when someone comes to Karlaga. It's not clear who. Wait until someone teleports in and then arrive triumphantly and extort whoever is there. So like his whole plan was, again, also just kind of shaky. Like, hey, show up at this place that I know has been abandoned for 200 years and was ransacked before that. And whoever comes here, I will extort. Like, well, you you imagine that whoever comes there is a descendant of the Pendrig line, so wealthy and powerful. And uh, 
it doesn't cost you a lot just to keep up uh, alert wards that exactly. will let you know if someone teleports in. Right. It's not a, It's not the most, like, you know, I wouldn't bet my whole uh, future prospects as a criminal or whatever on this plan, but he's not. This this was a fairly low investment strategy. So Yeah, it, it feels like something that he was just... Yeah, it feels like something he was rolling a few hundred bucks into every year just on the off chance it might pay out someday. Totally. So... Um, this so apparently uh, Arthur. Uh, well, I mean, Arthur's a special character, you know, who who obviously said this in a way that made more sense. But Amon is is abusing this saying because uh, he's like, "Hey, why don't we talk face to face?" And um, she's like, "Yeah, but you're dangerous, so I think that's a bad idea." And he says, "Well, every stranger should be considered a friend until there's reason to do otherwise." That was the Lost King who said that, was it not? And Amarillo mm-hmm. is like, "That's an apocryphal quote," and I'm guessing with. Uh, with June that no that sounds like something Arthur would say um which, in fact he says when Arthur had been playing Uther Pendrag he said it often exactly but he didn't say it for situations like this right probably I mean, not no you've already given me a reason to not trust you, you you've explained that your plan is to extort whoever comes here <laughs> like yeah the, the, the whole thing is weird so why does she then say okay sure come around the corner and we can talk face to face I don't get why she didn't say okay great well I'm gonna go back downstairs do you fuck off so it looks like it was basically a show of trust that uh, they could continue negotiation. And also at this point, it looks a lot like they're going to buy passage on the helicopter. So she's going to have to need to let him in anyway to transfer over some magical artifacts to him as payment. So might as well get face to face with him now. And, uh, you know, as a little show of trust and hand over maybe one of the swords. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. Like, the whole thing just feels like a weak excuse to have her kidnapped. Um, now, don't get me wrong. Not bad writing. I'm not saying that. I'll quit caveating. But um, it all feels fishy. Okay. Uh, you know, because, I mean, she could have said, okay, let me go grab you one of my trinkets. I didn't carry them all upstairs. But no, I'm not letting you in because this is my my special castle, right? Yeah. I, can, I, can, I can deliver you a show of trust by handing you one of my cool trinkets, but let me go grab one. And then they just retreat and talk about it for 10 minutes. Right, they 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 could have done that. There there was there was a ton of options. The options weren't limited to let's run up and talk to him, and then let's let him around the corner. And I'm also assuming that once you let someone in, it just must count as a permanent easement. Like you can't revoke access. I I got the so I got the assumption because she said she could revoke access earlier, right? I know that you can revoke access to stuff, but if you can do it to places and uh she didn't do it here, then I'm definitely calling bullshit. Because, yeah, sure, come on in. And then, you know, he passes through whatever ward tunnel his warder is putting in, and then just revokes access and it burns his blood away. That is why I got the impression, since she didn't do that, that uh, it's more like a magical saran wrap thing, that once he's through it, it doesn't affect him anymore, and she can revoke it, but until he walks through it again, it still won't have any effect. That it's like... Not an area effect, it's literally like a thin shield wall or something. Oh, and it's around the castle, not permeating through all of its halls. Right, which is... Okay, that makes sense. So he, he, once he leaves, he can't come back in. Yes. Gotcha. Okay. All right, well, I'm satisfied with that anyway. Um, Anyway, so they... Go ahead. Yeah, okay, so I mean, I'm looking at all this from your point of view, and I can kind of see what you're saying, like... Why did they let him in to talk to to them where he could threaten them? Why did they even bother talking at all instead of holding up? Like, 
all of those things are definitely legitimate options they could have gone with, especially if they were being super paranoid. I think, like, at this point in the story, I just wasn't that paranoid yet. I was still very much in my normal mindset of, you know, people are basically good, and it's cool to talk to people and try to work things out together. So, to me, none of it was... None of it seemed like bullshit. It was all stuff that I personally would have done too. So it seemed cool to me. But you know, if you're if you're less trusting than I am, I can see how this would look bad. And maybe maybe this isn't the best writing in this one respect because Amaryllis often is a bit more paranoid than June is. I don't know. Yeah, she's demonstrated herself to be like supremely paranoid and it's it's not even so much about just being trusting it's like this guy had the plan of like aha i will i will twist the arm whoever of whoever i find here by trapping them like mm-hmm. you know so all right great you know friendly cooperation's out the out the door because your professed plan is to is to just fuck us um yeah you know like at, at that point i stopped cooperating uh yeah it's it it just seems like this this was supposed to happen right, right. um which is which is you know it's fine we'll see where it goes it should be fun um it's just it it didn't feel like this this felt out of character for uh uh amaryllis the fact that june is silent the whole time again screams cutscene, but also he just didn't have anything to say so um yeah so i do I, wonder I, yeah. if people during cutscenes feel like it's normal that they're not talking they probably do right if the eye huh I mean, so this this makes me wonder. At the very end of this, he gets affliction cowardice, <laughs> and in the next chapter, he's thinking about what the fuck could I possibly have done? Was I supposed to go all shown in anime and charge in anyway, and you know somehow magically win out of the power of my self righteous determination or whatever the fuck? And um, like, I wanted to talk about that too, and we probably should. But like, do you think is that what the game was trying to push him to do? Like, the game was being like, okay here's the thing amaryllis is there's a cutscene where amaryllis is now being taken away from you it's impossible odds do your thing be the hero be the man and and then he never does like do you think that that should have been that he had that choice or was this always from the beginning just going to be amaryllis gets kidnapped now haha you lost a party member i think it's that and the game was going to give him the the affliction cowardice just because that's you know what would have happened after the cutscene right um okay I I mean, yeah, maybe he could have charged in there and gotten everyone killed, but like I to me this is like the game having a sense of humor, especially since Cowardice One doesn't come with any uh stat penalties. I think it's more of just like a ha ha. Um and of course the quest is your princess is in a, is in another castle. Um yeah. find her, rescue her, and there might even be a kiss at the end. Um Ooh. so uh yeah, we'll we'll see. All, oh, there was there's another line that you pulled out too that I'm glad because you know June is sitting there. He's he's more annoyed at how this is narratively unsatisfying. Hey, I get you. Um, so he's like, I've got helicopter flying in my backstory. Like you guys both knew about that. The narrative convention dictates that I was supposed to fly that helicopter. I have a I have a fucking very specific skill. Like what the hell? And I like this from Fen because this is nice, and June needs to hear it. Like. Look, this might be whatever a game to you. Fine. I just saw that apparently you invented this world or whatever, but it's our lives. Like th- this is uh this is not a story or whatever you think it is, right? Uh, to to mm-hmm. us it's not anyway, right? Um mm-hmm. it it's uh that that's valuable and it is. I don't know it, what else to say on that. I at this point like 
because this seems the story seems to be like subverting a lot of tropes and playing with audience expectations like at this point his having a helicopter backstory which had been set up earlier in the story already right we knew that his dad was a helicopter pilot and he's right like this fits perfectly this is the Chekhov's gun that was supposed to be fired now because haha the thing that was set up earlier turns out to have a very important story purpose i'm like now i'm wondering is this just a Chekhov's gun that's being delayed until later when he does get to fly the helicopter or is this like a subversion of the trope and it'll turn out that helicopter flying just is not a useful skill in Arab when you have <laughs> things like teleportation and um, there's that gun just going to sit on the mantle forever because this is a subversion of tropes. I don't maybe, know. Maybe they'll get to fly the helicopter away from the castle, like the yes. one that they rescue Amrillis out of, right? As it's blowing up in the background and they don't look back. Right. And better yet, they will uh, they'll fly the helicopter out and he will like just radically underperform and make it a quarter mile into the desert and they just they have to just crawl out of the wreckage and it's gonna be a mess um yeah yeah so like he's so we're now we're in chapter 24 uh like a glove um mm-hmm. there was a love glove earlier joke that uh june made and no one got which made it all the funnier and i totally agree um <laughs> so no glove no love that's right um they so this this goes by pretty fast he's he's basically thinking like uh like you said was i supposed to go full shonen and attack them you know was i supposed to give an awesome speech or believing in the heart of the cards or being the very best there ever was mm-hmm. um, and i just truly a man of culture um mm-hmm. so he's he's basically just annoyed at the story and then uh fen shows up and she's like okay here's the here's our here's our stuff we've got the clonal kit we've got the fairy jar, my artillery bow, this amulet that we don't know what it does, the void rifle, and yeah. this uh, the super cool glove, plus a sword that can be whatever we want it to be. Um, the party has been presented with a puzzle. Let's go through all of our inventory and figure out how we can combine these to get past the puzzle. Right. And the, nothing much happens for like the first half of this chapter. She says, hey, try to learn gem magic, and he can't, um, mm-hmm. which is fine. It's, you know... There, I think, like he talks about with um, blood healing, right? There's going to be impasses to some kinds of things, and I think even if he was told, "Hey, your blood is magic," he couldn't just like deduce how to do it from nowhere, right? Uh, mm-hmm. No one explicitly taught him bone magic, but he'd heard, you know, the person talking about it. All he heard from from uh, Fen was like, yeah, people can do gem magic. <laughs> so um, he, he wasn't able to teach himself gem magic, which is fine. Um, she does show up with a box full of half a million bucks, which is cool. And Hell yeah. uh, A, they can use that to buy food out of the, the, the what do you call it? Clonal kit. Right. The magic box. And I ask, I ask what it's called, only to disregard it and go with magic box instead. Um, <laughs> and I do like how uh, that also kind of like, I'm not sure, uh, you know, half a million bucks. I forget. Oh, they paid for healing and chur. So I'm not sure what the conversion is from chur to obols, but it seems like that's a large chunk of change. So as far as a quest completion reward, that plus the sword is a pretty good deal. Um, plus the clonal kit. Oh yeah. And the fairy jar. Like, I mean, yeah, if every, got some good shit. yeah, if every quest is this, this fruitful, you know, I'd say he needs like three more quests before he could just buy his own city. Um, yeah. So, uh, what was I going to say? Oh, so, uh, yeah. They, when, they, oh, hold on. I got to pull out this awesome joke because 
uh, when Fen was saying you should totally be able to learn gem magic because, you know, that's that's supposed to be your whole thing, right? That's the reason Princess has or had such a throbbing erection pointed your way. <laughs> <laughs> um, sorry, what were you going to say? Oh, I was I was going to say that the um, they do have a bit of a talk about the clonal kit. They're playing around with it. And Fen notices uh, that they're really getting screwed on it. Like they, they put in a bunch of money to repay it for stuff and don't get back nearly as much as uh, she's expecting. And June goes on to explain that this is to prevent arbitrage because, you know, basically if you can find a place where a plier is worth more than the clonal kit thinks it's worth, you can just make infinite pliers and saturate the market and make a lot of money and then keep moving on. And then the game becomes, you know, not fun D&D adventure game. It becomes economics, uh, how to exploit the box to make money game. And that's no fun. Um, and I really enjoyed that in large part because like this, this sort of thing, games are always just approximations of reality, as we've said before. Uh, and this points out like the ways that if you have a munchkin in your game, the, the differences between a game and a reality would really derange a world if they were literally true. And uh, I think that sort of thing is like what Ratfic is about, like examining sometimes the the way things are presented in fictional worlds and really thinking through what would be the effects of this in a real world with real people that really work this way. And this is one of the issues and this is how it was gotten around in this particular setting that there's, there's uh, this anti-arbitrage measure built into the box where you don't get good exchange rates out of it. Yeah. And it, and it keeps it from being, you know, it, it's already an immensely valuable and cool thing because I mean, all you need to basically get whatever you want is lots of stuff or money to put back in, which is just nothing. put back in what you got out last time. Yeah. Does it always put out the same value of stuff? I don't think so, but I assume if you put back all the stuff that you got out last time, that counts as you know it broke even. Oh, well, that's interesting. So like then. when they got their gems out, I'm assuming he could just put those same, same gems back in, and the box calls it square. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's yeah. I guess it makes sense that if you repaid. Okay, yeah. No, I see what you're saying. I had it out of order for a second. Um, the but yeah, the the so it's immensely powerful and versatile. But it keep like it it has this, like you said, built-in mechanic uh from being in a rationalist fic universe and from a smart DM that it's not totally world breaking. Yeah. Like if if you had this but you didn't have to put anything in to get stuff out, you could just totally ruin the ruin whatever game it showed up in, right? This mm-hmm. this is a cheat code box. Yeah. So um having the the arbitrage uh the the, the poor exchange rates built in is a really cool thing. Um so they're basically thinking, okay, here, here's what we got to do. Um, we got to get back across the desert. You know, walking is an option, but we don't know if the glove is passive or latent magic. Um, because, you know, is, is it, uh, is it like constantly, um, you know, holding magic while it hides things in it? Or is it just an effect that comes on and off when you use the glove? And yeah. Uh, is it going to be a screaming beacon towards these things the whole time? Right. And uh, Fen keeps trying to think of names of it, one of which is Raven's Claw. Um, yeah. And he's like, okay, well, we're going to test it. We'll need to get some string. And she, I just imagine her clutching it to her chest. It's like, what? <laughs> no, you're not throwing it out the window. It's my friend. I've named it. <laughs> <laughs> Fen is the best. It was great. Um, 
So she's like, all right, fine. We're, we're fucking around with this clonal kit for long enough that we get some really good string because they want to see if it attracts the, the Demogorgons. Um, so uh, it turns out that no, it doesn't attract Demogorgons, which is nice. Um, and when he's, uh, what was he working on? Um, oh, when he was trying to attach like the best string setup ever, like they tested it with other gloves because they're good scientists. Um, mm-hmm. He's leveling up his engineering. and. As he gets better at engineering, he's like, you know what? Fuck strings. Let's do. Let's let's build a rocket instead. And yes, um, you know it's it's a you know Finn Finn calls him out at this point when his engineering caps at triple the value of cunning, and she says, let's put some more points into cunning. He's like, oh, I already spent those points. And then Finn gets to be upset at him because for the same reason you were upset at him, basically for spending the points when when on going blade bound. Right. Amaryllis got to you, didn't she? And he's like, well, I wouldn't put it like that. And it's like, well, I would. Uh, and uh, uh, she's, did you spend them on something useful for our current situation, perchance? And he says, no, I put them towards blade bound. And she's like, come on, you know, like, again. And, and she thought blade bound was stupid, even if, you know, it wasn't just about not using them. It was about specifically that that choice, because it's like we can hire somebody to swing a sword for us. Right. Um, mm hmm. I, I feel where she's coming from, but she's like, look, luck seems super important, especially for this plan. You know, we could have done it on knowledge or cunning or anything that would have actually been useful. Um, that said, uh, um, the the plan is, uh, and I don't quite get what its fuel is. Maybe they did mention it and I, I read past it, but um, they're basically going to attach, they're going to jump in the glove with scuba gear, which I like anticipated, but forgot to render like by writing down, but that is obviously how they were going to breathe while they hung out in this thing. Um, they're going to guide it by radio to Baron jewel somehow. Uh, I don't have any idea how this thing could possibly work and how he's going to craft it with not a rocket science lab, but he does because it's a video game, which is awesome. Yeah. You know, kind I of also like, think, did you ever make a rocket kits when you were a kid? Yes, but I used, you know, purchased parts. Right. Well, for some of it, at least for the fuel, um, you know, the rest you can make out of, you know, a, a two liter bottle. Right. I, I figure like if we have rocket kits here and they probably had them in the 50s, you could probably pull a rocket kit out of the uh, clonal kit item. But mine, you know, unless it, unless his was really good at gliding, you know, the ones I'd make would go up a couple hundred feet tops and then come crashing down. They did not go 50 miles. No, but he uh, he did specifically say that they did make it into a really good glider. With uh, said the rudders that adjusted based on the radio signal from Baron Jewel. I am curious about that too, but you know that that sounds like the kind of mechanics that you know our friend Chase could probably whip up if we gave him a box of scraps, right? Um, yes, that that definitely sounds human doable, even if it is completely beyond what I could ever imagine doing myself. So, um, and he apparently has a bachelor's of engineering at uh, a bachelor's degree in engineering at skill level twelve. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. He he roughly equates it to how far he got in blood magic, and Amarillo said it takes about three years. So if he's a little past where he is in blood magic and engineering, then yeah, he's got a bachelor's in engineering stuff. So um, pretty cool. Uh, yeah, that's where we end the chapter. And I do want to point out here that uh, we, as the readers, were told the plan in this chapter. Oh, so something has to go wrong. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, I guess... That, that trope was so ingrained into me that I never thought for a second that they were going to have a smooth glide back all the way to Baron Jewel. <laughs> okay. I, I didn't even make a reference back to the call out earlier in the story. Um, yeah. I, 
I just, if, if, if you had asked me, you know, Hey Steven, do you think it's going to go well? I'd be like, hell no. I'll bet you 50 bucks. Something bad happens. Ah, but you wouldn't have made that bet if the story didn't tell you what the plan was, right? Uh, probably not. You're right. But it all happened subconsciously, right? Yeah. 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 Yep. If, if it was all a surprise, it was like, okay, you know, like with Harry and, uh, his rocket, Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't get the plan until they're until they're jumping on this thing, and so yeah, as it's going up, <laughs> exactly. So it can go off more or less fine because it was a surprise. Um, yes, yes, yes. Rules tell us that because this was a as was explained to us, my unconscious brain was able to know with you know uh, would have put money on it certainty that it wasn't going to go smoothly. Mm-hmm. Um, I did like too how when he says we're going to build a rocket, I was like, "All right, time to get stupid." <laughs> <laughs> never build a rocket; it never goes good. <laughs> what was God? I wish I could remember the full quote, but it had too many hyphens in it. But it was like uh, Harry was like, "Why did I trust Professor?" Like you know, it's fine. Oh. I wouldn't do this if I didn't anticipate my own survival. Quarrel instead of. Professor Michael Veras, Harry, if you ever do anything with rockets, and I mean anything, you are going to die, Veras Evans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, luckily they don't just explode. Um, no. And I wonder if we you actually... built dummy rockets. I th- you know, I again, I only skimmed the last couple chapters to get ca- caught back up for this one because I didn't reread them. I tried to like to space it out and then work got busy these two days. Uh, I basically binge read the first read through and then I space out my second read. Um, yeah, but they did spend like three days here doing science and stuff, which means they didn't save any time doing it this way, but he did become a rocket scientist in the meantime, and they've got, uh, an actual plan. So I was really surprised by the three days thing. Like when, uh, at the end of the last chapter, I thought, okay, cool. We're going to save Amaryllis. And then this chapter starts and it's like, after three days of testing with a thing, and I'm like, oh, well, okay, they just left Amaryllis in the hands of the enemy for fucking more than 72 hours now. Who knows what could be happening? I guess we're taking this the slow way as opposed to the rushing into the tower and cutting your way up to wherever she is way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, at the very least, it's the responsible way to do it, right? They are testing it is. their their rocket that they're going to be riding in whilst in a void bubble. Um, yeah. You know, like, it's it is what what they should be doing, but you're right. It is tough uh, to imagine that she's there being tortured or whatever the whole time. So man, we'd better get to her in the next reading. I'm going to be mad at you. If not, I'll be mad at you personally. Oh, Ingush. Oh, even, if, even if she's in quote, another castle, they get to Baron jewel and aha, she's actually somewhere else. I'm still blaming you. Um, okay. All right. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I guess while they're tinkering around, they're practicing sword fighting and stuff um, just to kill time. Yeah, she says, she says it'd be stupid to go into something you don't know without everything maxed out. So uh, since he allocated his points, they go ahead and max out all his skills again. Oh, that's right. And uh, he's like... She said, would you go up against the enemy with three swords when you could have ten instead? Right, if it took you a few more hours or something. Um, yeah. And he's he's put out because he's barely better than her. Um, mm-hmm. And he's like, but man, my, my, my sword skills should be higher. And she's like, that's not the point. You're better, like you're better than me and I'm good. And while I'm not amazing, uh, I think it's, it's one of those things where um, it's really easy. If you're good at something to compare yourself to the best at something rather than to the or baseline even, person who doesn't know how to do it at all. Yeah. And or, so, I mean, in June's case, like his only real, uh, he, he hasn't done a lot of sword fighting in his life. His only real basis for comparison right now is 
Ven because she's there. And like he doesn't know if she's the Michael Jackson, not Michael Jackson, Michael Jordan of sword fighting. So uh, if he's just barely able to beat her, maybe maybe that doesn't mean shit. He don't know. I suspect she would brag if she was the Michael Jordan of of sword fighting, but she's probably above average. Well, that's the thing is average is going to be, you know, the the average $10 an hour grunt. You put a sword in their hand and tell go rob this bank for me. Right. Right. And so he's better than almost everybody and better than the majority of even professional or, you know, people who use swords. So, yeah. Um, so he's, he's getting pretty good. Yeah. I like this too. So he asks about her scars and, uh, he couches it in like, well, I don't know much about scar magic. And you highlighted the thing that I thought of too, where, um, and for the same reason, did I not actually highlight this or did we both do it? It was like, uh, she's, he says, uh, I was curious about your scars. You know, I don't know much about, uh, about scar magic. And she's like, oh, for a moment there, I was worried you're trying to get to know me. And he just says, I'm giving you an out. I do want to know about you. But if it's not stuff you want to talk about, you can just say, here's some stuff about, about scar magic and I'll take the hint and drop it. I really like that that kind of directive, that kind of uh, being direct. And you said you did too. Yeah. So high five to both yep. of them for, the, for this communication. Hell yes. They are very <laughs> good at the communicating. Can I count this as the favor I owe you? And he says, not a chance. <laughs> but, and then he's like, I'm worried that someday someone's going to be rushing me and you knock an arrow. But then instead of shooting them, you're going to be like, hey, does this count as the favor I owe you? And I'm going to die. <laughs> oh, no, that's a good idea. Um, <laughs> so apparently, and this is a fun little thing that's uh, worth mentioning. Uh, the elf business on Arab works kind of like uh the, the the sparkly vampires in twilight where they just they stop in in time slash uh form so yeah. I, I guess I don't, I don't know what that means if you were to damage an elf maybe they can't be damaged in which case they're crazy overpowered um i would assume they can definitely get damaged but like it wouldn't show on their physical form because she said they can get stronger. Like, I guess and they, they can get out, tattooed. Uh, or they can get, they can get scar magic. I assume they can't get the scar magic until they're right at the point of, of, you know, reaching maturity and can't be changed anymore. Or maybe, maybe they can, I don't know. Well, cause she said they can die from eating, but their body does not change. So they would still look as if they're, you know, healthy and everything, but they starve to death on the inside anyway, even though they don't look like it. Oh, die from not eating. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good point. They can get stronger, but they don't get more muscles. They just somehow have their strength skill go up without any physical changes, which is kind of crazy cool. Yeah. So you get these these crazy cool scars, and like the scars, uh, they act as kind of like um, I. They're almost like a type of rune magic, right? Like or tattoo magic or whatever it is that uh, that Haplo had in. Um, in the Deathgate cycle, where the the scars being on her give her magic. Yeah, I would have to read the whole explanation of how the scars, um, like how they laid it out, for exactly how that worked. I can't remember if it's like the changes go into no, because elves wouldn't change anyway. Yeah, it's something about right at that threshold when they're about to, you know, become matured or whatever, and yeah, unchangeable. Yeah, having the scars there helps with their process of being you know, super badass where they can, they can tank damage. They can run fast. They can basically do Legolas stuff. Um, mm-hmm. So fucking elves, man, as you were saying, right. Anyway. So, uh, because elves are dicks, um, 
the scars are never going to work for her because her, she's half human and thus her body changes. And yeah, so you know, they, when we go, they, when you go, when you get older, your body goes through certain changes and uh, your magic powers go away. Um, so, so they specifically gave it to her just as a brand. And the thing is like, she said for a few weeks, she had these powers and they were amazing for about a week. And then just, just long enough to love it, it and know what you're missing out on. Yeah. 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 And then they go away and they held her down and forced her to get the scars, even though she knew it where they weren't going to work. And even though she wasn't even of the age of maturity yet, like this wouldn't even have worked for an elf because she wasn't whatever the age is. They were just fucking her because they're fuckers. Well, they, they didn't they merely hold it down. They drugged her and did it anyway. Oh, was it drug? Yeah. yeah okay. And so, I mean, it, that's the terrible thing is, you know, she she's knocked out wakes up with superpowers that she knows aren't going to last and yet you can't not enjoy them. And then yeah. uh, her skin changed just a bit and the scars lost their power. And so now they're just ornamental. Um, you know, it's, it's an extra awesome level of fuck you from those elves because uh, they could have just, you know, carved into her, you know, whatever human horror or something. Right. Um, right. Instead they're like, Hey, here's an awesome way to troll her. Let's give her superpowers that we know won't last. And just totally ruin her day. Let's give her the specific, this is an elf branding, and have it completely not work. So everyone will, like, what, think she's a poser? Or just just know that the elves hate her, I guess. It's pretty fucked up. Yeah. So she's got these ropey, uh, you know, intricate, cool-looking scars, but ornamental nonetheless. So, yeah. I do, I do want to say, though, that elf ability to, like, once you reach maturity not have your body ever change that's fucking awesome yeah I, that's as, uh that's the goal you know that's the transhumanist goal basically hell yes it is yeah once once you've got your meat suit just the way you like it you can keep it that way yeah so this is interesting uh while they're having this like intimate moment where she's telling him this shitty ass trauma that happened to her in her childhood uh she paused and says did i get a loyalty bump which you know i thought like that's like I guess she's not really playing the game. She's more like one maybe wondering what's going on in June's head, but there's a certain level of acceptance of his view of reality when she says that, yeah. which was, I don't know, in sweet. Um, it's it's funny too, because uh, there's the, if, if she's telling him that hoping that she'll get a, a loyalty bump, um, it almost doesn't count. Right. And yeah, yeah, I guess so. I mean, it's, it's sort of like, um, like Harry and, and Draco at the train station. Hey, let's, let's tell each other, you know, um, private things about ourselves to like, just quickly fast track our friendship. That kind of works. But if you both know that's what you're doing, it it's yeah. the insincerity might not count as like real loyalty to the extent that it's actually being measured by some, you know, game layer. Um, yep. But what's fun is that uh, he says, well, I think my loyalty to you probably went up a few points, but the game doesn't track going in that direction. And then boom, it does get a loyalty bump from, from Fen. Yeah, it was cool that like she she you didn't get he didn't get the loyalty bump until he said that and I guess that kind of also makes sense because her telling him that might make him feel more warm towards her which like like he said is like a loyalty boost towards her but uh but it wasn't until she felt better towards him by him you know divulging that to her that it uh that he said to her that my loyalty to you probably went up like he acknowledged this was a thing that was traumatic to her and that he feels bad for her and uh, and he feels empathy for her. And when he acknowledges that out loud, 
then she feels warmer towards him, and then the game is like, oh, hey, she feels warmer towards you, there's a loyalty increase. So I thought that was kind of neat. Yeah. And even more interesting that he didn't tell her about the loyalty increase, which I also would not have. It seems, seems like it's a commodification of a personal relationship, which feels kind of yucky. Right, because what he had said is the kind of thing that would increase one's loyalty. And the fact that it did seems like, oh, maybe she'll think that I was doing that on purpose. Yeah. So yeah, you know, you, you don't need to give everyone every number you have about them, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, or as you were saying a few chapters ago, don't tell them anything at all. Well, for going forward, you know, maybe keep it to yourself with her cats out of the bag. But speaking of the cat still being in the bag, he didn't tell her, you know, he didn't read that paragraph he has about her. Um, you know, he, he said, I'll tell you each what my uh, character bio of you says when I have you in private. Um, at least on camera, he didn't tell her, like, here's the one paragraph I know about you. Yeah, it probably happened during the montage because that was information we already had. So it wouldn't have been interesting to the audience unless she had some kind of, you know, cool emotional reaction to that. But she must not have since we didn't see it. Oh, yeah. Good point. Unless there's some, yeah, you know, unless there's something worth seeing there, we don't need to see it. Right. Yeah. All right. Um, so, uh, they're, 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 because they had time to think out what a bad idea this is. They're actually sitting there like, well, shit, are we actually going to do this? And, you know, his hands are shaking. He's like, yep. Now, if, if I were a DM, my players tried something like this, I'd allow it. Wouldn't I? Dot, dot, dot. Cut away. Yeah. And that's an interesting line of thinking because there's sort of like, he's sort of thinking of this very much as a game now. And like, can he game the DM? Like he's second guessing the game layer or the DM or whatever it is. And I think that's that's going to derange your view of the world after a while. If you're always thinking in terms of how do I interact with this all-powerful entity that sees everything and decides whether things can happen or not. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and, and there's, a non, but, there, there's a non-negligible chance that, you know, the DM is literally him. And... If it's not literally him, he at least knows what it's like to DM a game. Yeah. And so but it does seem like a relevant concern because 100%. we have seen yeah, specific anti-munchkinry patches like with the clonal kit not allowing the arbitrage. Well, that that he invented that item, right? Yes, that's true. So but we have seen uh anti-munchkinry by like um uh, uh it didn't count. He didn't get much experience when Fen was just murdering things with her bow left and right. Right. And he had the thought experiment of like going back and just digging a spike pit for all the zombies. Um, yeah. You know, like that. I I agree with his guess that that probably wouldn't give him 70 level ups or seven level ups or whatever. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. It it would maybe give him some experience and then maybe an achievement for whatever, trying to cheat or something. Right. Um, yeah. Like it, 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 there'd be some humor built into it, but he wouldn't he wouldn't be able to to cheese the game that way and so yeah because his life is running on game rules mostly except for how narratively unsatisfying it was that he didn't get to fly that helicopter um right it makes perfect sense for him to ask to frame basically every big question he runs into like a narrative thing you know if i try if i were trying to do this in a game uh or if i were dm a game or someone's trying to do this would i let them do it like that yeah i would be asking myself that about every crazy stupid thing i was trying i would say that in this case i think it would it should fly because you know this is like the the luring zombies into a pit that's just boring numbers grinding for minimum amount of risk and that's the thing you don't allow but this is more like a unique problem 
that uh, your players have found this cool counterintuitive solution to, and that's that's a lot of part uh, part of the fun of these sort of games is just like bouncing off each other and seeing what you can come up with and having this sort of uh, cool clever solution that some they've hacked together is one of the joys of playing these games. It's one of the reasons that you know I tabletop games will never be fully replaced by video games because you can't have that sort of on-the-fly random bullshit that players pull together <laughs> in something that has to be all pre-programmed from the start. You can do a version of that in uh, whatever video games, not tabletop games. Like uh, um, it, it is possible to beat Breath of the Wild in like 20 minutes because you still have to grind through the tutorial really quick just to get the, the glider and uh, you get a you get a power called stasis, which lets you freeze an object, and then if you if you hit it, it adds momentum to it, and then when it unfreezes, all that momentum is unleashed. And mm-hmm. so what you can do is you can freeze a rock, smash it a bunch, jump on top of it, and then you know sail on it halfway to, to Hyrule Castle, um, nice. which is not the intended use of that, and is not how you're supposed to play the game, but it's totally doable. So video games let you let you do that by um, rather than kind of thinking outside the box to build your own rules and write your own story. It's like, okay, I it, video video games let you, it lets you exploit programming loopholes. Yeah. But, but, but running with the kind of like fun idea of color, you know, drawing out or finding a cool spot outside the box on a tabletop. It lets you, yeah. it lets you very carefully find the edges of the box and right. find out where you can do uh, unexpected things. Um, so it's it's different, but yeah, I again, if you know, I I didn't write any of this down when I was reading it, but if you if you had asked me, um, hey Stephen, do you think this rocket will fly, and uh, do you think that um, it'll get them all the way there, I would have said, I like I, I guess what I'm saying is I wasn't the least bit surprised on exactly how it worked out. They got almost all the way there, but it couldn't go perfectly because that would be boring, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. uh, I am curious about in this cutaway. Um, First off, we get two new people, Craig and Tom, who I don't think we've seen either of these people before. Um, I think you're right. So they're, you know, I guess this is just what happens you play games for years, but um, they've got two new party members here. So we've got to keep our eyes open for Craig and Tom, Tiff and Raymer. Uh, but the um, they, they're fighting a Dracula or yeah, it is a Dracula, not a uh, just a vampire. And they've got a portal and they're going to shoot a, uh, their portal gun or whatever on the on a cannonball up through the mist and then apparently bringing the other end of the portal with them in to fight dracula so they could cheat mm-hmm. and hit it with the sun mm-hmm. um and uh it says to it says to us that he decided to split the difference um because you know he didn't he didn't want to let them just totally ruin the fight he had planned but so i guess what i'm saying is i'm curious what split the difference there meant um presumably they did damage to him but yeah, yeah, my guess would be something that it made the fight easier. Yeah. Anyway, so that's fun. And that's what we get. So um, they jump into the glove, which they've named Sable, which is uh, what? Black is the word. Yes, like Vanta Black, he described it, which is the blackest black that we currently have in our world. Yes, I have a, a small bottle of it. Um, oh, cool. Yeah. Or whatever knockoff we're allowed to buy, because for reasons I don't quite understand, some artist apparently just said, that's mine, and apparently it's theirs. I don't get it. Um, I'm sure it's not that easy, but I got the the, the commercially tradable version. And Sable is also the name of a uh, uh, a type of horse, 
which I know from Red Dead Redemption, I think. And what's fun is they're traveling on Sable like one might travel on a horse. Um, uh, see, it's almost a pun. It's that's just actually kind of clever. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, they're, they're in the glove and he, it says, I don't think I can properly describe how terrifying it was. Uh, Sable was invested in Fen, not me, which meant that everything I had set up was going to be done by her. Uh, but and basically, he's got nothing to go on. It says that he, I remember that when he was in it before, he could like know where to direct his attention to leave. But it's not like he can he can see out through a little window. No. And so, you know, he's just sitting there breathing through his uh, scuba gear. Just, oh, he's got a, he's got like a bandolier, everything that he needs, you know, because I don't know where the stuff goes, right? You're not looking at all the things that are also in the glove. You're just by yourself. And mm-hmm. uh, they also did some testing with this. You know, they sat in the glove for an hour with a breathing kit and stuff. Um, again, good scientists. And uh, anyway, the... So he doesn't get to see what's out there. So he's just sitting there breathing, looking at his watch and like, ah, sure hope we're on our way. Like he gets no yeah. input, right? <laughs> well, that's that was the really interesting thing. He says there was no information coming from, from outside coming into us. So the only thing we could do was time it. And like, I think the very next sentence after that is achievement unlocked outside the box. Achievement unlocked to infinity and beyond. So technically one of them is receiving information from outside it's him with the achievements letting him know that they're in the air right it was just in time for it to be fun like timing as it came to us in the story um which kind of here's the thing right so he's thinking the same thing outside the box worried me was the game making comment on my solution to escape from carlaga to complete the exit strategy quest um and if it was what was the intended solution if there was one now, how was outside the box being said? Uh, so he, he he's reading into that, which like, you know, A, there's the, yeah, the ambiguity there, which is like, great. Is this because I, I you know, cheated my way through a quest or is it because I, I was creative? Um, but also the timing, right? Like, mm-hmm. is the game reading his mind? And it's like, you know, I think the second that he got in the glove would have might have counted as outside the box or at least the second it took off. Um, yeah. Maybe that was the second it took off now that I think about it. Uh, since we don't know exactly what was going on uh, outside the glove at the time, but it still it still lines up so perfectly that it makes you wonder if if the DM was you know whatever the the game layer was waiting there to give him those two achievements for fun. Yeah, and it's interesting because like you pulled this part out when he gets the quest progress exit strategy, it names Sable in the quest progress text, which is a name that they gave them. So. On some level, there's there's some sort of intelligence in the game that's like monitoring them, and uh, I mean maybe it's just like GPT twenty seven or something, <laughs> but uh, who who knows? There's like there's definitely some interaction between the game layer and what he is doing, or what his party is doing. Or this was always a possible solution, and that was always going to be the name of the glove. Like it's it's unclear how much of this is like predetermined, or how much of it is the the, the game layer slash DM just rolling with what's going on. Um, it's it lets you get kind of as meta or as paranoid as you want with it in either direction. Like yeah, uh, when they found another way into Silmar, and it was the sewers. Maybe there were five ways in, and that's the one they found. But the game mm-hmm. just gives him, hey, well done. You found a sewer and this will let you in. Um, so, but yeah, the fact also that it names their glove. Uh, it's, it gives him the, uh, um, 
that moment of, oh, okay, how in on this is the DM? But uh, that's fun. Also, what that tells him is that, uh, oh, we must have landed. Oh, right, because the, the thing even even says that, right? So yeah, um, he, he's basically sitting there in the dark and uh, basically hoping that they're safe from, uh, you know, really anything that can happen. Uh, I don't know quite what would ha- I guess they'd just die. But, you know, if, if, uh, if it if the glove was eaten by a Demogorgon, would they just be annihilated? Presumably. Um, or they could try and maybe the, everything in the glove would violently explode out and they'd rip the thing to pieces. And that would be my guess. I mean, but that sounds not necessarily, I mean, that's just a guess. Yeah. That sounds more fair than just them dying, but we have no idea how fair the game is, but yeah, right. I I guess if you destroy the glove, well, no, I mean, I could definitely see it going both ways. If you destroy the glove, everything in it violently explodes out. Or if you destroy the glove, everything in it is just annihilated forever. I can see it going both ways, but I mentioned just collapses. Yeah. But I'm with you that it definitely, I'm guessing everything explodes out, but, um, what it tells them is, oh, yes, your homemade rocket glider crashed five miles short of Baron Jewel thanks to a bit of errant sand in the rudder. Um, and he doesn't think this, but like, I bet, you know, there was no sand in that rudder. Thanks, game. <laughs> yeah. uh, it, it might as well say your homemade rocket gl- your homemade rocket glider crashed five, five miles outside of Baron Jewel because I made it. Because fuck right. you, it can't be this easy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, fun trying to get the last part covered. Right. So uh, now they're, the, the thumb stickers haven't been alerted to your presence yet, but they'll be coming for you as soon as you step outside of Sable. So he gets it to sit there. It's very nice of the game to tell him that. That is nice. Yeah. So he gets a minute to sit and try and think about what he's going to do. Um, they, they each have uh, either stopwatches or regular clocks with them so that they know to get out at the hour mark, at which point they've said, you know what? We'll definitely have landed by then, no matter where we are. Like, let's get out at an hour. But I think it's only been like 30 minutes, right? So yes. he's uh, um, he's got 30 minutes until Fen is aware that anything is happening whatsoever. So he could just hang out here, right? And wait for Fen. And then they could they could strategize once they get out and all the Demogorgons are, are running towards them at, I don't know, 85 miles an hour, some horrifyingly mm-hmm. fast speed. Or mm-hmm. he's like, you know what? I can I can Naruto run with my uh, with my blood magic. I might as well just do <laughs> so- that. Do you want to real quick explain why you came up with Naruto run? Because that's the, uh, well, because he pulls out the thing about how his biggest uh, um, limit, limiting factor here wasn't the uh, the amount of traction and push he could get. It was the uh, the airflow. And yeah. the Naruto run is, I, I've only seen one episode of Naruto. Wait, I think I saw an episode of Naruto. That's the one where in the first episode he like does a hundred shadow clones or something. Like, I've never seen a full episode, but I know exactly what you're talking about because the run is famous. Right. I saw one episode and then saw that there were like 900 more and I wasn't, I was super not into it. But I remember the first episode because he was already crazy overpowered because he could do like this shadow cloning technique and Moody references that in Methods of Rationality. Um, uh, Oh, that's right. The shadow cloning thing. Yeah. And he says that a young Japanese tried that on me (laughs) and uh, it was no doubt a young Japanese in a red uh, whatever Adidas jacket or whatever the kid wears. Um, mm-hmm. So it's it's where you're running with your arms behind you. If anyone wants to see it, just Google Area 51 Naruto run, and that's the best real world example. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah, but you're like you're leaning absurdly forward, and instead of like pumping your arms like a normal person does, you just <laughs> fling them straight back. And it looks really cool in anime, but it looks ridiculous in real life, which is great. 
But you you mentioned this right after it says cars were designed with airflow in mind, and I was just a muscular teenager without the aid of modern airflow designs. And then you pulled out the Naruto run quote, and I was like, huh, I wonder if it actually is more aerodynamic. And that's why they run that way in anime, because airflow is their biggest obstacle at that point. I, so, I mean, if it, if it is, it's probably not that much. I'm not an airflow expert, but I'm guessing that's why I, that's, I don't know anything about the show, but I'm assuming that's why they do that. I'm assuming they just do it because it looks cool in anime. Oh, yeah. And you're right. They're not the only ones that run that way. Um most of my fast-moving anime characters I've seen from Kenshin, and they do lean forward, but you lean forward when you're running too, you know, if you're sprinting. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, yeah. So he his Naruto running isn't enough because these things are fast and they're getting on top of him, right? So he gets a critical success when dodging one, which is cool. Um, man, so this was actually a lot of fun. This was a really cool fight scene. Uh, I think he's mainly tangoing with one, but there's like more on the horizon, right? Um, yeah. And so and they're, getting, get they're, close. Get, they're getting close. And oh, yeah, you put Hulk leaps. I didn't even think of that. Thank you for making a, a um, Marvel reference that I didn't. Yeah, because yeah, Hulk, like, Hulk doesn't and, fly. He just jumped good. Yeah. And he just like every time he gets to a dune ridge, he like launches himself off to the next ridge and then launches himself off the next one. And yeah, I, I was like, I totally saw the Hulk leaps. Yeah, that's awesome. I love it. Yay. We're a good team. Um, yeah. So. Man, what do you do? You're you're surrounded by uh, Thalm Seekers. I say Demogorgons because it's, you know, more fun to say. Um, mm. And I have a better visual. But uh, anyway, uh, I, I love this so much. So he, he's worried. You know, of course, I got a good success there. But I, I don't want to twist an ankle, you know, while running 75 miles an hour or whatever. So I dug deep into a well of power I really hadn't wanted to touch. There was magic in my blood. Magic that lay, lay latent until I tapped it. But I was already tapping it as hard as I could. I gripped my teeth and focused on, on another and focused on another source of latent magic, my bones. And dun, dun, dun. I love this so much. Um, and I, I just, I stopped right there. So when I'm reading these and I'm taking my notes, I stop, you know, without usually re- without reading the next sentence. Occasionally I'll finish a paragraph and then go back up and I'll make it clear that I read the whole thing. But I just said, it's unclear to me if he's fully draining them and dusting his bones or if he's just tapping them. But either way, Harry James Potter Evans Varys hasn't got shit on him. Why do you need Hufflepuffs around when you're already full of bones? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh, that was fantastic. Oh, man. And, and- I, so he gets, uh, he gets some damage, I think, from falling in the sand or something. But uh, so he gets like, you know, severe road rash and he starts eating fairies off of his bandolier, which I just like. I love the mental image of a bandolier probably made for shotgun shells, but it's full of like little fairies that are just dead in the little shotgun hole or the shotgun shell holes. Um, Yeah. Yeah. It's hilarious. And that should just be a constant part of his kit. (laughs) It is interesting too, that one of the things he's tapping his bones for is speed because like it gives him the dexterity to be able to like run without twisting his ankle ankle and all that. But like he says while he's doing it, that he, like it's almost a time slow down thing. Like it didn't literally slow down, but he has such like insane reflexes and everything that he just responds to everything a lot faster. And he realizes that, Oh shit, if I stop tapping my bones at the speed I'm going right now, I'm going to fucking eat shit. Cause I, I do not have the reflexes to handle this without the magic boost. Yeah. So I've, I've always wanted to have like the ability just to slow down time and react to things faster than you really can. And uh, that's why I like that a lot. Have you played the game Super Hot? 
I have heard so much about that game. It's on my list, uh, but it's below Disco Elysium because, oh my God, that looks so fucking awesome. So it might be a little bit before I get to it. I mean, it's it's the kind of game you can play for 10 minutes. It's I, I If it has a story, I'm not sure what it is. Um, but you have a VR oh, yeah. headset and it's best played in that. Uh, mm. It's, I mean, the, the point is that the game doesn't move unless you do. Yeah. And so you get all the time in the world to plan out your insane, you know, all right, I'm going to throw this this vase at this guy, grab his gun, shoot that guy, duck, do, and like you just get to plan out, you know, kind of like a, what you would imagine. Um, it's kind of like Wonder Woman ripping through, you know, bad guys at the bank or something, right? Yeah, like, you get you get bullet time. And uh, anyway, what I what I was going to mention too is that you know being super fast isn't useful on its own unless your like perception is also super fast. And mm-hmm. this is pointed out by Superman in another. Uh, Alexander Wales story called Metropolitan Man, where uh, Superman explains that he can slow down time to basically like, I don't know, a week every few minutes or something. Um, when, yeah, he, when he to the point where he can't see anything because there's not a lot, not enough light hitting his retinas per second. Right. And so that gives you some idea of the upper limit of his, of his speed if he went as fast as he could. Um, yeah. But if he just if he taps into that perception increase while standing still, it basically just slows down time for him. But yeah, I just liked how the, this this seemed to me kind of like just an echo of that same thing, right? Uh, mm-hmm. So he does motorcycle crash, basically, and then he gets his uh, quest complete. Um, yes. Safely within the protection of Alvion's word and in no danger of starving, you've made it your way back to Baron Jewel. If safety isn't what waits for you there, at least it's a different, more human kind of danger. And it is so he's now got affliction drain bone times 51. 51 which- is way more than I'd guessed. That's a lot of bones. Well, because he started doing the bones in his hands and wrist, and there's a lot of them in there, but they're all really small. Yeah. Which is probably why he had to go through so many of them. But you have like 200 bones, right? He went through 25% of his bones. Yeah, he was he was starting to run low on bones, man. Yeah, I wonder... Um, he seems sus- suspicious that uh, he, a level up won't heal his drained bones. I don't see any reason why it shouldn't. No, wait. Mm-hmm. I mean, it healed the rat rot, right? Yes, it did. Uh, but it didn't cure his cowardice when he had that, did it? No, you're right, and that's also an affliction. So you know, the afflictions I, you got to get rid of through game game effects. But rat rot. I mean, maybe it was because it was related to a physical injury. Yeah, and I don't know if if having your bones drained counts as a physical injury or not. Um, <laughs> I suppose we'll find out. And if not, I wonder how you recharge your bones. I'm I'm guessing you can. Do it with other bones. Uh, it's probably like not one to one. He probably won't be able to grab fifty one bones and heal his fifty one. But yeah, there's got to be a way where you know you absorb. I'm assuming you know like the way the way that bone magic works. You 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 suck in bone. You suck in magic from a bone and you push it into whatever you're trying to do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm assuming if you just suck it in and just you know push it into your own body that it would work. But I hope he doesn't have to drain someone else's bones. Well, maybe he could drain like that fucking gold mage. Screw that guy. Or it could just be, you know, next time he he orders dinner, right? Like if it's, it, it, it might be inefficient with chicken bones, but it might still work. Yeah, but that seems too easy as a, of a fix for this. I suppose. I mean, I figure as long as he pays back the cost. I mean, it's kind of just like, you know. Oh, like the clonal kit? Yeah. As long as he paid back? Yeah, just, yeah. just no free lunch, right? Um, yeah. It, it's got to cost something. And, you know, part of what this costs is that he can't do this indefinitely without recharging at some point. Yeah. Yeah. He's also getting a bit demanding of the uh, of the game 
layer. He when he when he didn't get the level up, and he says, uh, "But I just wanted to feel it again, if only for a moment. Wasn't this a major quest? Didn't I deserve it?" I'm like, dude, chill out. You'll get your fucking level. I mean, on the one hand, it's a bummer that he's. Uh, it's it. I don't know what this is leading us towards, but you can't get too high off that level up. You know, uh, on the one hand, we all love leveling up. It's a great feeling. Hell we don't yeah. we don't get as high from it as he does, but right. uh, you know when when your character levels up in the game, it's like ah yes I did it. But mm-hmm. uh, you know there's only so many of those, man. You you can't let that be your your great source of joy. <laughs> um, right. Let that be Finn or Amaryllis. Right. Or find a uh, an herb based uh, intoxicant that you really enjoy, and you know <laughs> yeah. do that on a quiet Saturday night. But don't. Uh, don't be chasing level ups or you'll start doing really reckless shit like rampaging towns just so you can get yes. the the level up for killing all those people. <laughs> if you get if you get um, XP for killing random commoners. Well, at some point, the guards will show up and you'll start killing them. So <laughs> <laughs> good point. <laughs> yeah, we, we can't have him just turn into a blood crazed psychopath just to chase that rush one more time. Right. And eventually he's going to hit level cap, and then what's he do? Exactly. And I, I don't know what the level cap is on this. I sure hope it's not, like, what did you say it was in D&D? 18? 20. 20? It, it was 20 in D&D, yeah. I wonder, I mean, I could go back and count. But, but he's also, leveled up, like, six D&D, times, right? Yeah, you do not level up nearly as fast in D&D. Uh, the, the guideline for DMs is uh, one level up at the end of every campaign. So, you know, if you go... You wouldn't reach max level unless you've gone through 20 major campaigns. And a campaign isn't just a session, is it? No, 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 no. A campaign is usually many sessions as you do a whole bunch of stuff. Hmm. Well, uh, yes. I mean, if he caps at 20, I guess the main reason I don't want that to happen is because I don't want him to hit a really quick limit on all of his skills. Oh, like, remember The Hobbit? Did you ever see the terrible movies or read the book? Of course. So the Hobbit would basically be one campaign because he gets the quest to uh, kill the dragon and get the thing back. And then he completes the quest at the end of the book. And then he would get one level. So he doesn't get a level for rescuing, you know, a dozen dwarves and killing a do- you know all those spiders in the woods. Uh, he probably wouldn't in a traditional uh, second edition D&D game. No, he would have gotten some XP for that, but you probably wouldn't get a level. This might be. Usually the DMs will let you get a few levels early on because the first couple levels really kind of suck. So you may get one or two level ups mid-campaign in the first couple campaigns. But like by the time you get to level five or so, you're not supposed to get it more than more than once per campaign. And I, I was mainly asking in that indignant tone because I totally get where if I was Bilbo, knowing that I was playing a D&D game, I'd feel indignant that I didn't get a level up for that awesome achievement I just did, right? Um, yeah. So I get where June's coming from here. So... A, a campaign isn't something like uh, escape Silmar slash the exclusion zone of the teleportation pad. It's find the lost king and save the world or something, well, something no. between those. Yeah, it's something between them. Okay. I might count like for a tutorial, a tutorial campaign could be escape Silmar. And I could see that because, again, the first level really sucks. So escape Silmar, get to level two makes sense. But that was like his third or fourth level. Yes, it was. Yeah, so I think I, I haven't been keeping count, but I think he's at six, give or take one. And mm-hmm. uh, if it's if it's going to cap him at twenty, he's going to level. He's going to, uh, you know, drastically slow down. Well, he, he, either he's going to drastically slow down, or he's going to cap out here real soon. Or you know, 
it more likely than not it isn't running on D&D rules. I mean, we already saw it doesn't have the D&D stats, so yeah, I'd be surprised if they kept that but not other stuff. What are the differences between this and D&D stats? Uh, the D&D stats are strength, constitution, dexterity, intelligence, wisdom, charisma. Uh, crap, was there another one? But they they didn't have this neat, um, you have, because in this system you have physical, social, and mental, and then you have three in each, and D&D did not have that neat breakdown. Okay. Well, that's a relief. So, you know, I, I'll look at a D&D um, character sheet and then try and just see how many different kinds of things there are to put points in and then map it to this. Maybe I'll get some idea of how many levels he's going to get. So They specifically mentioned they played a lot of non-D&D games in, on Earth because the thing where they were in London fighting Dracula was certainly not a D&D thing. That's a good point. Good. Yeah. All right. So he gets some, some bandwidth. On the one hand, that means that whatever is going on with him and his game and his life, on the one hand, it not being like strictly D&D means the world is less predictable which is bad news for him if he's trying to, you know, figure out the game. But it's also good news for us because it makes the game harder to predict and therefore more fun. So, uh, yeah, like anyone who was familiar with D&D would have known right from the outset, this is definitely not strictly D&D. There's skills that there's not in D&D. The magic system is all different, uh, except for the tattoo mage. There's, yeah, there's definitely not D&D unless it's been heavily modified. Is there tattoo magic in D&D? No, but uh, the original second edition mage magic was very, very close to tattoo magic. Yeah, how you talked about with the time invested and then you get to use the spell. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, Cool. Well, uh, he gets out, uh, or rather, they're outside the walls, I guess, whatever, however close to the walls they need to be to be inside uh, Albion's word. And then, because of course this needs to happen, Fen pops out. And yeah. <laughs> just lands on her butt in the sand, looks around and takes off her scuba gear and looks around and we did it. What the hell happened to you? <laughs> yes. Which was a wonderful beat to end on. It really was. I, you know, what sucks too, is he's going to tell her and be like, you're not going to believe it. I, uh, I was running 70 miles an hour, dodging thumb seekers left and right. And she's going to be like, oh, sure. You know, don't bullshit yeah. me. Uh, right. the- you're just trying to get another favor out of me. Right. On the plus side, he can at least point to the fact that, hey, do you see the rocket anywhere? Like, yes. You know, well, then if I was Fen and wanting just to desperately not give him any credit, I'd be like, oh, you just buried it like over that hill. Like, <laughs> 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 all right. Well, um, I don't have any more thoughts on this episode. I'm glad. I mean, we, we talked a bit about how unnatural it felt for Amaryllis to go with uh, whatever. What's his butt? Just how the whole scene Amen. played out. Um, yeah, with Amon. I, you know, again, I was never like, this sucks. This was poorly written. It just felt weird. Um, and I I found myself noticing my confusion was all. And I, I, I don't feel like that's resolved, but I'm curious if there will be, you know, maybe this hasn't happened yet in the 230 chapters that y'all have read. But I wonder if, if uh, June understands what's going on at some point, or maybe it'll be at the very end, right? But... At some point, I think this will make more sense, you know, why some things felt so forced. Like, we know something's going on. There's a story happening, and uh, there's there's a dungeon master afoot somewhere doing something. But I don't know. We'll have to see. Um, yeah. What I'm excited about is I remember from last time I looked at what Chapter 26 was called. It's called Superman. And mm-hmm. uh, I don't need to know anything else other than I'm stoked. And uh, what are we reading next next week? 
Next week, we are going to be reading chapters 26, 27, 28, and 29. So again, four chapters. Huzzah. I will remark those chap- that we yes. did four chapters in basically our shortest episode. Ho ho, we are getting good at this. Well, you know, we'll see where we're at after we do this one or two more times. Maybe we can start adding more chapters. Indeed, maybe we can. But obviously, too, it's it's one of those things, and we talked about this at the odds at the outset. Like, it's not just about word count or chapter count. It's like how much happens. You know, we did uh, an hour of two and a half hours on chapter one of four, right? Because right. there was so the much in the chapter, first chapter. Yeah, and then the third chapter was pretty quick. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. Jeez, I'm excited. Uh, I am too. As always, you can support Alexander Wales at his Patreon. You can support us on our Patreon as well. Uh, Links in the show notes and at our home site, hpmorpodcast.com. And I think that's everything, right? Did I forget anything? I just got to say, once again, shout out to Alexander Wales for writing this. This is his game. We're just playing it. Hell yes. Okay. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Hey there, Steven. This is Eniosh again. So we're back. We are back because I was editing together the episode and I had some more thoughts about the whole cutscene thing. And I don't know, I I wanted to like bounce them off you and see what you thought about it. Cool. All right. So um, I I got to thinking that that um, flashback that we got to Earth where they had the the tongue wigs in their their mouths that made them immune to the poison and the guy didn't know it and he tried to poison them all. Mm-hmm. Like that happened in the same chapter that Amaryllis got uh, kidnapped or, or escorted away. I guess it was basically kidnapping, and it's kidnapping was, even if you walk. You know, yeah, yes. Also, and really I, quick meta note. I just occurred to me. I think that this would have been our shortest episode, but you just couldn't have that. I mean, it still might be the shortest episode. I'm hoping this won't go on for too long. But mm. yeah, we'll challenge see. accepted. Okay. All right. Um, uh, where was oh yes so I, I i was thinking that like that was in the same episode and i think there was probably like i mean obviously that was for a narrative purpose but the more i got to thinking of it we drew the comparison to um uh harry potter and the methods of rationality where um spoiler alert um skip ahead if, uh, a couple minutes if you want to here we've completely spoiled that book already in this podcast Oh, okay. Well, okay. Then when uh, Quirrell is actually Voldemort and uh, makes the troll uh, basically immune to everything Hermione throws at it, and um, she has no chance at all with it. And from her point of view, it's just like, I, I'm getting completely fucked. It's like, if she was in a game, she would feel like the other side was cheating. Like, everything I could do, everything I know about trolls, somehow, it just happens to be negated, right? Right. Like, it would it, it have felt scripted and unfair as hell. Yeah, almost and like a like cutscene. I had, of some I had kind. all this. I, yeah, exactly. I had all this prep gear, and you know, I'm wearing this Im- impenetrable armor, and yet I get knocked out with a blow to the head. Fuck you. Yeah, exactly. And we, uh, Elias, are termed that the Diablos ex machina. You know, as compared to the Deus ex machina, something that just comes and fucks the protagonist or player over without any ability for them to do anything about it. And um, you know. From the point of view of that Duke who poisoned them, it feels like the same kind of thing where he got hit with the Diablo Sex Machina, where he had all the plans, he did everything, he set up everything right, and yet somehow just due to some random bullshit that the DM decides to pull, the, the players are completely immune to his thing. Um, and that would be, like, if you were on the Duke's side of the story, reading along from his point of view, that would feel very narratively unsatisfying. 
it would be like, what the fuck? Why did I read all this story and go through all this just to get this stupid ending? It feels like the author has broken the the contract with the reader that this is going to be an interesting story, you know? Because this couldn't have been foreseen or worked around in any way. And and the way you felt the same way about um, Amaryllis being taken away by the gold mage got me to thinking, like, maybe June isn't the only PC. Like, maybe the gold mage or someone uh, that employs the gold mage might be another PC in the world and... This is June's first hint that there's someone else like that that um they might be getting some bullshit pulled on him, kind of like uh, the the Duke got that bullshit pulled on him when he was playing, not really playing because he was you know a made up character in a game that June was running, but uh, I don't know. Uh, what did what do you feel about this whole cutscene kind of Diablo Diablo Sex Machina thing that I was bouncing around? Well, what's fun about it is I've already read the the next section's reading. And okay. I called out a thought about that guy in my notes already. Oh, cool. Now I can't tell you, obviously, what I put. Yes, that would be, be- cheating. Exactly. And it wouldn't be fair to people who haven't read that far yet. So it, I mean, it's, I don't quite know what to say about it. Um, other than like, yeah, from the other person's perspective, I think we talked about that. Um, it that, That's that's exactly how it would feel. Uh, but I don't, I don't know much where else to go with that um i mean it's it's definitely a possibility that it could mean that uh you know there are other actors in the world with uh some sort of more interesting authorship right yeah so if that was the case then competing authorship maybe yeah yeah kind of like with um uh you know harry and quarrel where both like capital a actors in the story right yeah. But from from each of their perspectives, they were the actor. Right. And so uh, since you like since the the deal is that we are being taken on a journey by our DM or author or whoever, when something like this happens, it feels unsatisfying to us. Um but maybe that is not the deal that we that we were actually getting. Yeah, totally. I mean, don't get like don't get wrong, this didn't ruin the story for me or anything. It was mm-hmm. like uh it, it struck out to me as a, a note of uh, confusion and, you know, it, it's, I don't know how much explanation it needs. Um, you know, it, it was a series of reasonable mistakes. Um, you know, the, the reasonableness of which can be debated, but like, it, it's not like uh, I'm trying to think of something that would have just been, you know, completely out of character. You know, if, if she had said, I'm sensing somebody trying to enter the wards, I'm going to just let them in. Like that would have been ridiculous. Right. She did that with this guy because she knew who he was. There was a possibility of an amicable solution. It wasn't really until he came around the corner to where all pretense of, uh, any friendly exchange went out the window. Right. Right. Like they, she, she let him through as part of a negotiation to try and, like leverage hey we need you know a helicopter right out of here um so also wait what was i going to say nope actually that's next chapter stuff it's a really small detail but uh i'll have to leave it i was also thinking about the cowardice affliction that he got which you know just (laughs) felt like sort of an extra fuck you at the end there but you know it also occurred to me that june is playing with a diamond hard iron man mode on 
So uh, he's playing like at the hardest difficulty level. Maybe if this game is not just, you know, tailor made for him specifically and there's easier ways to play it, maybe this is one of those scenarios where the the player is expected to like rush in with a sword and try to save her and die and reload from a save and like just keep doing that for, I don't know, 15, 20, however many attempts it takes before they figure out the secret to winning this particular fight. Right. If he could have ground, uh, grinded against Amin like a Dark Souls boss, yeah. then certainly that would have, this this whole thing could have gone differently, right? The, yeah, he, maybe he, that was the original intent. <laughs> could be. Um, it kind of makes you wonder, you know, like on video games in general, I think they're often intended to be played. Some, some games are nice enough to tell you, this is the intended difficulty. Mm-hmm. Um, other times, it's usually medium or hard. Uh, if there's four levels, it's usually like the second to top. Um, it's once if you if you lower the difficulty, you know, often you just get either reduced damage to your taken and more damage given or just like a larger health pool or something. Mm-hmm. Um, like and if you go hard mode, you just you're a complete piece of glass and everyone else is just uh, damage sponges. And so neither of those are to me as much fun as just playing it like I think the medium hard mode, whatever is the way you're supposed to play God of War. That said. I think I tried it on hard mode and just kept getting knocked down after one or two slaps from mooks. And I'm like, you know what? This is not very godlike. This isn't this. This is ruining a the fun and the immersion. Like, let's 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 crank it back a bit. Um, but I guess yeah, it could like be. You, yeah, like I mean, like you said, the with games, they there is an intended difficulty, and there is supposed to be an intended try, fail, repeat until you improve and get past the challenge loop, which you don't get necessarily in real life when the challenge is potentially lethal. Yeah. In a game, like I said, that, that that's, this is part of what made this feel so gamey is that this felt like a video game scene, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and the cutscene didn't end until she started walking away and the dialogue was over. And at that point he was debating, do I go after her or not? And then when he decided not to, that's when he got the cowardice affliction. You know, I, he was, he was quiet throughout the whole conversation for reasons that made sense to him, but I wonder if he actually could have talked. Uh, it's it's possible that this was just like back on the the opening cutscene on the plane, where nope, you're here to watch this happen, and then once it's over, you can do stuff. Right. Although in that one, he was literally handcuffed and gagged. Yeah. I, but I mean, just so a- was I was going to say so was uh, Paul, but he was also I think scripted to be able to break break out and say we can cooperate. Like that was yeah. all on purpose. Yeah. Um. I, I you know, did ask you a couple of days ago if I thought if you if you thought he made the right decision not going after him, right? I recall. No, I, I don't think he did. Which reminds oh, okay. me, I was thinking about that. Uh, so we're, we're recording this two days after our usual recording. Mm-hmm. So in the intervening two days, I've read the next section, and I was thinking about the podcast in general. And I like when you have like questions to ask. Um, I think that I can't remember what the last one was, but you'd often put them at like the end of the episode. You know, what do you think about this? Um, one of them was, uh, like, do you think he should join fire team Blackheart? And I'd already made my, my position on that clear through, through the episode, but yeah. I like those. So if you have those going forward, you know, don't bend over backwards to think of one, but they're available. Um, okay. did he make the right call? Uh, I mean, so here's the thing. It seems like this is how the game was supposed to go right now. That said, he, he got a cowardice affliction, but since it doesn't come with an actual stat debuff, it could have just been, a. a you know, you th- this happens in games too, where you get uh, 
knocked out during a cut scene and oh no, suddenly all your gear is gone, right? Um, yeah. Well, I don't know. If it's a, if this it's allowed for it cut scenes to screw you over. I don't know if this is the way it was supposed to go necessarily because like, it, it feels like this is a multi-path game where there's many ways out, but I almost feel like the way he was supposed to go was with the helicopter because uh, he did get the you know out-of-the-box achievement for leaving the castle a, a non-standard possibly way. Yeah, I... I mean the the glove or the, the game knew the name the name of the glove, which could just mean that it's dynamically learning about what's going on in the world as it happens. It's it's I think I'm probably modeling this uh, too much like a a video game uh, like a video game and less like a tabletop game, which is probably more what it represents. So like the game has a story that it's trying to deliver to June and, and his party, and it's it's got an outline, but all the details can come or go they were always supposed to go to carlaga they were always supposed to leave um you know if if it had happened to be where they managed to dig the uh the teleporting pad out of her arm or something and teleport out that would have also counted they just had to get out of there right yeah it it seems like they're supposed to make an enemy of this almond guy though so like you know if that couldn't have happened if they just teleported out but that might not you know the 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 overarching story probably doesn't depend on that um Unless he turns out to be this immensely big bad character for you know just chapters and chapters, but uh, I don't I don't think I'm not getting that vibe from him. I think he's going to be maybe like kind of the first boss fight. I I literally can't say anything one way or the other without you know of course giving you yeah, some hint. No, I'm just I'm just thinking like uh, you know the the Thalm Seekers are high level random encounters, but they're not they, they don't have the setup of okay, we've got a princess in a castle. We need to go prepare and bust her out. Like, you know, maybe if he had fought uh, Quills, Quills could have been the first boss. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And bosses often do have the thing where uh, they're introduced first and you don't fight them and then they come back later. Oh, yeah. Especially if you want to make them like fun. You know, if just someone shows up and they're like, hey, I'm here to kick your ass and I'm really high level. Like, that's fun and all. But the real fun bosses are you know, Balder from Game of, or from a uh, God of War or um, I don't know, name anybody who comes back multiple times. It's in any game. It's, those are the ones that you really like fighting, right? Yeah. Uh, I guess Dark Souls aside, because none of that game makes any sense unless you're, I mean, literally 75% of the story is told through item descriptions. Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, you really are just wandering from place to place, hitting things that you have no idea why and you don't know where you're going. It's, it's but that's part of the story. Um, that's actually, that, that, that's thematically, I think what they're going for, but okay. you're an amnesiac in the story. No, not, I guess maybe it's just, you don't, you're, you're usually, uh, yeah. Some, sometimes there's amnesia. Sometimes there's just like, oh yeah, you, you were dead and now you're not anymore. So who knows if you took your memories with you? Um, you don't, but I mean, you don't talk or do stuff with NPCs that much. It's just really the world is supposed to be confusing. Um, I was thinking about, because he mentioned his his game settings and he's playing with a Verisim mode on. And so he doesn't get a heads up display uh, or like fast travel or those things. I was I thinking know, about right minimap. So, or I mean, he gets a heads up display. Uh, he gets, he gets his stats or some of his stats displayed. Oh yeah. The HP bar, and the blood meter. His, his blood meter. Um, presumably he'll get other magic O meters. If, uh, other magics take up anything you know if there's a mana bar for example um and if he had like a full hud 
because heads up display is too many syllables. Um, I'm trying to think of what that would all encompass for this kind of game. Cause you know, with, with your average HUD, you do have a mini map as part of just what you're seeing. And I, that presumably would be part of what he would see cause it's disabled, right? Um, he probably wouldn't have to close his eyes to pull it up cause that's just the map. The mini map is just, what's always around. Um, you know, the HUD indicates like enemy intentions. Uh, it, it also just gives you like data about the game. I mean, so what, what is his health bar, right? We've, we've talked about this and is, you know, at some point his health was like what two out of four or something when he was yeah, had a bunch of debuffs and he was bleeding out. Like in a game, your health bar is like, if you don't have a, if you don't have a health bar, your health is just some background code that you're not privy to. There's probably other indicators of it because it'd be really lame if you had no idea how close to death you were. But games like uh, Uncharted, like the edge of the screen kind of goes red. Mm-hmm. And like that, that's your indicator that you're about to get, you know, you're running out of bullets you can take. And mm-hmm. um, I guess uh, I'm really just dragging out this conversation just to make sure that, that this isn't our shortest episode. So, Oh my God. Uh, okay. In that case, we got, I'm shutting this down. Okay. We, we are not gaming I, the system. But, just to- But I... But I, I, those, those weren't merely idle thoughts. I was thinking about that all day. Uh, well, like in the background all day. Um, okay. I, I, but at this point, I, I'm not really going anywhere with this. I'm just kind of musing out loud about it. I, I guess what I'm curious to see is like wide discrepancies between damage taken and HP. Uh, anyway, we'll have to see all that shakes out. And if he ever learns any other more magic that has a magical meter, then we'll have to. I can, I can keep playing this game. I was just thinking about heads up displays today. So. That's that's I the end of my musing. Um, okay, well, thank you for indulging me and extending this a bit longer. Yeah, man, this is fun. All right, All right. and well, I'm, everyone I'm by this time needs to. Oh wait, yeah, I forgot we're two days ahead, so everyone's gonna be listening to this immediately after the last episode. They don't know that I've already read chapters. Let me find the number here to remind everybody: twenty six through twenty nine. You know, usually when recording, I haven't read the next chapters yet, and so for this oh, part, I see. I have. So this yeah. part, yeah, 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 that's true. And you had to pretend you didn't have that knowledge. I know. It was weird. It almost <laughs> felt like cheating. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to... Well, I mean, you already, you already did the whole thing when you were talking with Brian, so never mind. I've been in your chair. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Alrighty. Well, thanks, buddy. I'll see you uh, same... Well, I guess I'll see you whenever, but the, the audience, I'll see everybody same time, same place next week. 